0: The big man leads it ahead.
1: To another big man, John Scott.
0: Six feet eight is all. Daryl Sutter, coach of this team, said that
1: everybody wanted to have at least one shift with John Scott, and there is a tie
2: And John Scott will get a standing ovation. So shortly after you left last week, Don, I started thinking about the show this week because historically it's been one that, of course, is difficult uh, to book. Right. And I started thinking about some options. We had some Charlotte guys. Okay. We had a new sports news guy that follows me on Twitter. We had Tommy Tomlinson's from Charlotte, Matt Crossman from Charlotte. We had some guys there. Um, Adrian Dater um, has gotten chummy with me on Twitter He's a kind guy. Mm -hmm. He's out in Denver. I thought I could maybe hit him up for a connection. He worked at the Denver Post for a long time. Now I was just sitting there doing all this. And I was actually – I was out in my living room and just doing stuff on my laptop. And I had ESPN on. And this was like last Wednesday. And there are these just guys just droning on about the Super Bowl. And I shut my laptop and said, we're not doing that. Okay, There's just no no reason for this show – to be about the Super Bowl this week,
0: as far as I just couldn't see it. Like, well, we're not we're not really guys to come on and give like in depth X's and O's. Like, this is why Denver's yeah, I mean, keys in, to the game. In three and...
2: things, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. Sure, we'll talk about our anticipation for it, what interests us about it, maybe. Okay, then we're just gonna move on, and like instead of booking a Super Bowl show, I kind of book counter programming. And the thought that if you've just had everything you need about the Super Bowl, here's a guy, Steve Hyden from Grantland, who's got a music podcast, has a book coming out. Let's talk to him. And then we got another guy. It's a fluid situation, but I think he's a guy people know and people enjoy. Okay. And he'll be on. And uh, we'll just do that because do we really want to get someone in here to talk for 20 minutes about the Panthers and then someone to talk 20 minutes about the Broncos And by the time you even realize this new episode downloaded on your phone, it's 45 to 3 Carolina already or something. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't – I think one thing that's good about this podcast is the – is when it's archived, it's playable for a long time. These shows just aren't. No. You know, know, it's just kind of like maybe three things can get dated, but generally speaking, the podcast holds up long term the longer
0: we do it, the more we move away from that stuff, too. We used to do very specific NFL-related look back at the league, look ahead to, at the league. And you're right. That can
2: quickly, over the course of the week, depending on when the podcast gets uploaded, get dated. So, And there's just no need. Nobody's out there saying, I can't wait to hear Stephen Don talk to Tommy Tomlinson for 25 minutes about the season of the Panthers. People are actually, I think, turning the other way, looking for anything but that at this point. Right,
0: and we would have nothing to add to that, really. I mean, you are a little bit... Closer to
2: the Panthers uh,
0: because they're in your favorite right, and I division. Can but
2: mention a few things, during three things, and then we'll just move on. I think that's sure. just the best way to handle it. Sure. So, in the spirit of moving on, we can start the show. It is season six, episode four already. Uh, February fourth, two thousand sixteen. Uh, I mentioned Stephen Hayden, the music critic at Grantland, is going to be on the podcast today. Uh, we will have a second guest, as always. Not sure on Tuesday exactly who or what that will be. A lot of balls in the air, Guy, I mentioned that last week mm-hmm. uh, when I was pretty sure that Josh Levine was going to be on the podcast um, and David Shoemaker. David Shoemaker, of course, is another Grantland guy who got held on to by ESPN. Oh, okay. Um, so he was on last week as well. And one thing about the show is Josh, of course, is the host of the Hang Up and Listen podcast which I joke with him about, was one of the other best podcasts in Richard Dutch's column. Was it really? One of the other ones we were named next to. Okay. So, and I had this, I didn't get to explain it, really. So I had this joke that kind of bombed, and then I told it to like five other people, and nobody got it. So I'll clarify this in case you're wondering what the hell we were talking about. So Josh, I went to his Wikipedia page when I was learning about him, and he's been at Slate for quite a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, he mentioned in, in the interview that his predecessor was Brian Curtis. It's kind of like a mentor to him. Okay. And uh, on his Wikipedia page, it said that one thing he's known for at Slate was he coined a phrase that was the Shaggy Defense. Oh, like Scooby Doo? Shaggy? No, like the rapper. Oh, it wasn't, you know me. How wasn't is, it me. It wasn't me. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So he turned that into a thing. He was writing about the uh, the um, R. Kelly scandal. Okay. You know, this guy's on video, and I don't know, is he peeing on a girl or something? that That's the Chappelle skit about it, yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> and then he's denying it and saying it wasn't, wasn't me, me, and this yeah. guy says it's a shaggy defense. Okay, got it. So I'm just introducing it, and I'm saying, you know, he's with Slade, he's the host of this podcast, and he's also known for coining a, a popular culture phrase. And the setup there is that you anticipate me saying the Shaggy Defense. Right. And instead I said when learning that his podcast had won an award alongside the sportscasters, he famously said, who the hell are the sportscasters? Okay. See, so that was was a dumb joke. (laughs) It's it's bombed over and over again. (laughs) But, I mean, it wasn't meant to be laugh out loud funny. It was just meant to, I don't know, break the ice a little bit with the guy. Yeah. You know, So, but he didn't get it. So it didn't work.
0: Is he aware? I mean, he must be aware of the Shaggy defense. I mean, if it was a thing in their offices or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's, you know, bad joker. I don't know. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So he he was a great guest, though. Really interesting. Really enjoyed talking to him about podcasting and Slate. Do you read Slate? I don't know. You know, like, sometimes you end up on a page, like... If you go to any Slate article... You know, you've been to Slate before because, like, all the articles on Slate look like they came from Slate.
0: Okay. You know, I mean, I look at Reddit or, you know, Facebook and you'll end up on an article on a website, but like, I don't really have a website that's like appointment viewing. You know, I don't.
2: I try to learn about Reddit, and the problem with it is it's so intimidating because everyone wants everything on there done a certain way. And if you Mm. if you deviate from that, like each subreddit has its own rules, yeah, you know they get so snippy with you. Yeah,
0: I'm definitely a lurker, or maybe I'll comment. I very rarely post, so yeah, I don't I don't think about that much, I guess.
2: But all right, so this is what we're going to do today. We have two interviews. They're not Super Bowl related. We'll do the book club, of course. I'm still waiting for the books to come. We'll talk about that during the book club update. We'll end with one last thing. We'll get going today with three things.
0: Let's play a game. All right.
2: Mm -hmm. Count of three one Alrighty, righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pva lane are very very difficult Three. i might be able to beat jamarcus russell at quarterback <laughs> this
1: is the funnest night
3: ever <laughs> <laughs> did we just become best friends yep now let's move on
1: to other business
2: all right so obviously we're not going to do a super bowl show but that doesn't mean we can Completely dodge the fact that there is a Super Bowl being played on Sunday. And one thing I'll say about the Super Bowl so far is it's boring. It desperately needs a a player going out and picking there's up a hooker, a hooker or yeah. something. <laughs> I mean, there's just I'm just not gonna buy into the good versus evil, white versus black quarterback angle. That's just not for me. Okay. I don't buy it. It's not interesting to me. I think Cam Newton that was a dumb thing to say last Thursday. hadn't even got there yet. He's already saying, you know, anticipating uh, being this evil heel. I think that's more stuff for their locker room. I don't, I don't buy that as like a reality. Peyton Manning's not that kind of guy. I just don't see that. It's not interesting to me even if it exists. Um, and then what else is there? What else are people talking about in the Super Bowl besides, oh, Peyton Manning, it's probably his last game maybe, and oh yeah, Cam Newton, people don't like him because he dances and because he's black. Or is he this breakout star who's going to dominate the league for 10 years? What else have you heard? What are the other narratives?
0: Right. I mean, I heard more... I can't even remember what day it was. Uh, the other day about... the They're having, like, Media Night or something now? Mm. Is that a new thing? Yeah, they switched Media Day to Media Night. I heard more about the actual coverage than anything that actually came out of Media Night. So I, I don't know anything that... Well, I, I mean, cause I, nobody's, I more, don't seek it out.
2: You never find players more guarded and careful now than on that. Right. And we talked a little bit before we started podcasting
0: today that it's a long commercial for different, whatever products that the players are paid to shill in interviews. So,
2: well, the Super Bowl players aren't doing that. Well, I'm right. no, I mean, right. that's Not one of the that. stuff that happens on radio row, right? You know, during the week, which is yeah, all terrible. You know, you get 10 good minutes out of the guy or five good minutes and then you got to pimp his product Mm -hmm. so I don't know I think you know my overall opinion is just that Carolina will win this game eight or nine out of ten times they only got to play it once so Denver has to see if they can come up with the the perfect game and and beat them otherwise they're just not
0: yeah I mean we I think we talked about it last week a little bit Um, I would have expected Denver to get killed Against New England, and it didn't happen, so... I mean, they played the perfect game, and they still probably should have lost, but they didn't, and they kept it
2: close, and... I mean, Carolina's strengths... Denver's strengths, and sometimes Carolina's strong there. You know, Denver's weaknesses, Carolina's better. So, I mean, I just... I think, overall... You know, but it's one of these games where I think we're going to have ninety five percent of the people picking Carolina. It's going to scare you off. Yeah,
0: I mean the line I think started at something like four, and I don't know where it is today. It was at like six and a half over the weekend. People keep
2: saying you know it's going to be Seattle again, but I think people forget that that wasn't nobody expected that outcome that day. I mean, I'm not saying people didn't pick Seattle to win, but nobody expected it to be one of the more lopsided Super Bowls in history. Mm -hmm. I mean, Peyton Manning had one of the best quarterbacks seasons a quarterback has ever had that year. Nobody was looking at them as some flimsy super bowl opponent that and, year.
0: and i mean i'm i'm a big stats guy if you haven't listened to the podcast i'm more about the analytics parts of it and they say there's no such thing as momentum but you know one play type i mean that game started with the ball being snapped over his head like it immediately went terrible for them
2: yeah so, i mean even if you don't believe in momentum it's tough to come back when sure nothing before the smoke cleared from the firework right the anthem so player.
0: I think that's. I think this game. We talked about it last week. I, I think they have to get Carolina behind. They can't let Carolina get ahead because I mean they play from ahead. Awesome this year. So so for the record, do you want to make a pick? I'm gonna say Carolina. You want like a score? It'd be. Just give me a range. Like 35, 17,
2: something like that. Yeah, I'll pick Carolina by about two touchdowns yeah. as well. I'd love to see Denver win it's because I'm not a fan of Carolina. Um, but I had thought the other day it's interesting.
0: There's two markets in the world that want to see a lopsided game, and that's Denver and Carolina, and everybody else just wants to see a close game. Yeah, but, just give me something Like if to... it's a blowout, in Car- if, if like we might expect it to be for Carolina, like Carolina fans are pumped, but nobody else is. So
2: it's a weird – It's the last football game of the year, so I hope it's a yeah, good one. make it close. That's about it. All right. Sunday was an interesting day because we had the NHL All-Star Game yep. in the day. And you had a league who identified last year that had a terrible product on All-Star, All-Star Weekend. Yeah. They had nothing going. It was a ton of goals with nobody trying and no energy in the building and a bomb. So they totally stripped it down, repackaged it. They tried something new. And for the most part, I thought it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I like. you know what I think the difference is? I think when it's, uh, what would it be, like 18 on 18 or whatever the numbers are there? Uh, there's eleven. What is it? Nine guys per team. Why can't I think of this? Nine, eleven because guys there's per 11 team. Players eleven per team. team yeah. Okay. So say that this numbers are the same. Twenty-two guys per team. When it was the old format, I don't know if you're letting down. Like, it's hard to feel like you care too much about the outcome of that game. But when it's like a little tournament and like maybe you form like, okay, this is us six or what or us nine. And yeah, I mean,
2: you're playing for ninety grand each, right? You know, and it seemed like there was a little bit of laying back in the first half of the games like it wasn't as intense but as the games would go on and it's like well it's two to two we might as well try to win it or it's five to five we might as well try to win it and then they play harder but and there was some fun the john scott thing was a good one-time interesting thing sure you know it's you couldn't do that again what does the nhl do with it now they just move on i mean they did what they needed to do and just hope nobody joke gets in again i think you just you just leave it the way it is and if something happens organically you roll with it
0: the NHL looks terrible. If you're not, if you're a casual NHL fan, I mean, or not an NHL fan, you can kind of look up. Uh, John Scott wrote an awesome article. I think it was for, like, the, the players' website, whatever that's called. I can't remember off the top of my head.
2: Right, the players should be in.
0: Yeah. Uh, check that out. It's really cool. In the midst of all this and all the heat they got, Gary Bettman gets an extension again for I don't know what. Uh, Greg Bauck, who is a – he was a producer of a talk show here in Buffalo – Kind of stays up with and writes articles and stuff for this type of thing. And he just blasted. He's like, how do you give this guy an extension? There's been three lockouts under his watch. The game is back to being relatively boring.
2: The owners have money and they don't know who else to get.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess that's it. I mean, anybody at this point. I mean, I'm not a guy. I'm not going to. Gary Bettman's not going to walk out and I'm going to boo him. Like, that's almost become like. I might. It's kind of cliche. It's a little. I bit do
2: enjoy of, it when he gets booed. Yeah,
0: but I mean, he, he enjoys it. It's like Vince McMahon getting booed at this point. He's, he's in. A, he's a little. I, in I on think he's Joker. a little bit in on it. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't go out there. He doesn't have to be the guy that goes out there for all these different things. But uh, yeah, they looked really bad this weekend. He got an extension, but the league looked good. So I guess that's what what's important.
2: Yeah, so it's a good day for the league. And then in contrast, at night, I didn't see much, but I did see a little bit of the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And, I mean, it was actually to the point where they were playing touch football out there.
0: Right, and literally
2: putting... They were playing touch football. Right. The, they would hand the ball off, the guy would run, someone would touch him, they blow the whistle. Yeah. And then they did this play where they brought Michael Bennett from the Seahawks in, and they direct snapped it to him, and he ran, and someone touched him, but he kept running into the end zone and expected it to be a touchdown. But they said, no, we're calling that down, essentially, in that game. <laughs> so the last five, six minutes of the game were touch football. This, look, it, it doesn't work... So I don't know – I don't have a great fix for the league, but I'm not saying the NHL came up with this magical event. No. It's just that they recognized it didn't work and they had the guts to try something different and they had some success. I think it's more than time. For the NFL and the Pro Bowl to do that.
0: Well I, yeah, I think you either have to incentivize it to the point that like players are trying really hard, like Pete Rose. You, can't, used to. you almost can't right, though you can't. because of the long term money. Right, and that's they on make the table. and they make so much and they're not gonna risk that playing. Right. So that you can't do. But make it flag football. I mean, if they're gonna play flag touch football anyway, make it flag football. And then football. maybe you
2: get some intensity. Sure. Because they feel I mean, you just have to try something. I don't know what the answer is. People who get paid a lot by the league can get into a room lock themselves in, and spitball it. Uh, the draft idea, which they took from the NHL, the problem with it is you don't have any rooting allegiance whatsoever.
0: Right. It just so happened all the Bills ended up on the same you team. You have no that, idea whether you're was. supposed
2: to root for Team Irvin or Team Rice or whatever. There's just nothing to it. So right. it's a terrible game.
0: Yeah, I used to love the quarterback challenge. I don't think that was anything to do with the Pro Bowl. I think it was just a show or something that was on in the summer. Uh, do that instead and somehow incorporate skills challenges for the running backs and they used to do something because i remember uh the bills punter at the time was probably mormon running like an obstacle course if they
2: announced they were going to have the guys face off in american gladiators that would be better that'd be awesome it and would i be said better. before the actual like it's a terrible idea but it would i'm be talking better. about
0: the stuff leading up to like the, the nhl does a skills competition night before do a skills competition and then Do a flag football game or, like I've always said, do kickball or bowling or something instead of the actual Pro Bowl
2: because it's... To not come off as NHL honks here. You mentioned the skills competition. I watched it. It was okay. You know what they do with the... The the fake breakaway thing is just a nightmare. (laughs) They each go two times and they, like, have props and... Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what? That used to be kind of cool when players would actually... Do like hockey moves and stuff, but now they're bringing country stars out. The and
2: goalie doesn't really try to save it. It's right. It's bad.
0: Yeah, I don't. The problem, the biggest problem I have with it, and I watch it DVR'd, but there's so much time in between every event, and like, yeah. there's only so much you can ask a player. They're about, cramming
2: like, a lot of, a lot of, a little shit into a long show, and it just doesn't stretch. Yeah, WWE's constantly guilty of that. Oh yeah. but But um, I just wanted to criticize them for that a little bit. And like I said, the All-Star game was not, like, I'm not counting on the days till next year's, but it was a a huge improvement. It's the best one I've seen
0: in a long, time. Since the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, The biggest news to come out of the weekend, I'm sure, in football was the announcement that Calvin Johnson has told the Lions he intends to retire. Uh, The Lions seem to have taken the position that they might try to see if they can still convince him. But it seems like Calvin Johnson at age 30... Is done with the NFL. Now is this he's a, made a hundred million dollars?
0: Yeah, I know he's banged up. Uh, is this a Barry Sanders situation? A little bit?
2: No, I don't think so. Because the league's different now. I mean, two years ago the Lions were in the playoffs. Yeah, they're eleven and five, and even uh, it's not like they've I, had I years have... and years and years of.
0: Right, and I haven't heard anything out, come out about him demanding to be traded and them refusing. No, nah,
2: I think it's just simply the guy's made $100 million. Yeah. He's banged up, and he's nervous about CTE and all that shit. He's going so like
0: gonna... eighty $80 on the table or something, right? I don't it's... think it's that high. Oh, it's not that high?
2: It's $12 million of dead money for them, so he must not have more than a year or two left. Oh, okay. And he's earned over $100 million already, so I can't imagine. He, has he He's the second highest paid receiver of all time behind Larry Fitzgerald. Hmm. So... Yeah, I mean,
0: good for him. If he's,
2: if he's saved well, he's got a lot of that $100 million left. Maybe just to him, he can't see doing that to his body another year. And he's played in the NFL, what, eight, seven, eight years? And uh, he's good. Very good. I think point. we're going to see more of this. Yeah. We're going to see more guys that are going to come in. They're going to earn their money. And then they're going to tap out because they're worried about what they see happening to their... To their and I can't say that that is... What played into Calvin Johnson's mind. Supposedly,
0: Nate Burleson says it's no sure thing, and they're supposed to be
2: friends, but, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I I heard it's not a sure thing, too. I heard he told them it's his intent to retire, and I heard them say that, well, we're going to try to talk him out of that. Yeah, yeah, so. So, we'll see, but. I think it'd be a lot different if he was playing for Seattle right now. That's all I. I I don't. You know? No, if he retires, is he the second best wide receiver of all time?
0: Yeah, I was saying that I had a talk last night with my brother, and just physically, he might be the best of all time. Like, But he's he should... not. I mean, Jerry Rice well, right. didn't come close to anything Jerry right. Rice did on
2: the field. No. Was he physically gifted to be better? Maybe, but he didn't come close to it. So the question is, is he second best? So you've always said one of the things that makes Jerry Rice great is we don't even know who second best is. Do we have an answer to that now? Well, I
0: mean, there's no argument for first best, I guess. Yeah, that's what – for. Uh, he could be second. I mean – I'd have to look at the numbers between, like, him. I mean, we're in a great wide receiver era Well, I mean, right now. just Fitzgerald. your feel.
2: Just why? Forget the numbers first. Take the geek hat off for a second. I'm not going to hold you to life. He's really, really good.
0: He was one of those guys, like, him and Larry Fitzgerald were guys that, like, they could be triple covered, and they still are probably going to come down with it. So,
2: Yeah, I remember the Saints played the Lions in a playoff game a few years ago, and he had over 200 yards in the game, and they did everything. It was one of those, we're not going to let Calvin Johnson beat us games. Yeah. And I mean there was nothing that Saints could have done I mean. And he beat you in, this he was beat you like with a, speed. a he beat awful a, Saints he beat defense. you just
0: by out muscle you he was he's a he's a freak.
2: Yeah, he's definitely one of the better ones I've watched for sure. A ton of respect for Calvin Johnson and I hope he kind of hope he sticks to his guns on this one. I think he's done what he's needed to do for football. He didn't have a great year this year but
0: even that said that's going to be a bad team without him, right? I mean they they need help.
2: I, they still have a very good defense. I yeah, think yeah. Matthew Stafford is still pretty good. You know, Golden Tate is good when Calvin Johnson's not, not on, on the field. field. Yeah, you maybe. Know, so
0: yeah, they're just gonna, they're gonna have to find a second. Bad play.
2: team? I don't know. They're also one of these teams that weird things like the bad out happens to, where Calvin Johnson fumbles and right. Yeah, you know, Seahawks break a rule but win anyway. <laughs> yeah. so they lost that game. They lost a the game where Calvin or uh, Aaron Rodgers threw a hail mary. That they oh, weren't yeah. they weren't guarding it as a hail mary that does to be a lateral play or something. Alright. <laughs> so I mean they got to get that stuff cleaned up, but I don't think they were as I think you remember how bad they started and not how well they finished. Maybe year. maybe yeah. You know. So that's it. That's three things for this week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with our first guest. <laughs> All right, our next guest is from Vermont and is a graduate of Keene State College. He's covered the Colorado Avalanche for the Denver Post, covered hockey for SI, and is currently doing articles for Bleacher Report, including a recent one about the great Jack Eichel. He's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Adrian Dater. What's going on, AD? Hey, great to. Great to and what
1: an intro from from Kiss, War Machine. Can I tell you a quick story about that Yes, I love one. I love a
2: story about War Machine. It doesn't
1: really have a huge payoff, really, but it's just all I remember is just that that, getting that album, that Creatures of the Night album, and being so excited to hear what's on this record. I mean, Kiss had just come off the uh, disastrous music from the Elder LP, which of course I like, because I'm Royal Kiss fan, but, you know, it was like, <clears throat> if you know, Black Sabbath had done an opera album or something, that, that's the normal equivalent market thought that it made on the rock and roll scene when it came out. Anyway, so we get this go to the store down in Dartmouth College, Dartmouth College bookstore where, you know, they used to actually sell albums and these things called bins, <laughs> you know, and you'd big pieces of vinyl that were big, Big pictures of artwork on them, and you took them home. you put them out. And you put on a, a thing that went round and around, and put a needle on it. Mm-hmm. Some of those kids out there—that was called vinyl album <laughs> players. Um,
2: Making a comeback.
1: And yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. I know. I have, I have mine still, and uh, but yeah, of course, I never let it go. Mine originally. Um, anyway, I get the Creatures Night album. It's got this awesome blue faces on it. The great great photo, very awesome. I, I get I'm so excited to put Side One on and I'm just ready. I'm ready to hear this in the comeback album. They're going to rock again. <clears throat> the first song I hear is like this. God, it sounds kind of like really poppy, like, what's going on? And then I hear some singing and I'm like, wait a minute, Paul Staley, did he get a, did he get a voice transplant or something? <laughs> it turned out I was listening to Side One of John Cougar's he wasn't called Mellencamp then yet. He was still called John Cougar. John Cougar is side one of American Fool. It turned out that there were both Kiss and John Cougar had the same record company, Mercury, and there was a misprint. They somehow put one side of one album onto the other, Kiss and a John Cougar record.
2: Now, is that a sought-after thing in the Kiss community to have that?
1: Listen, if anybody out there is listening and they know they have that, would you please give me a call? I'll leave my, I'll leave my email <laughs> or something at the end of it. I have been looking for that thing for 20 years now. Now it's kind of convenient off and on, but now I started to get serious about it again. Uh, and there are very few, apparently. And yes, I returned mine like a fool to get the real album, which uh-huh. apparently I thought, well. They're going to be all misprints, right? Well, it turns out no. The next one I got was a real double-sided Creatures' Mind album, but I was so upset, like
3: this isn't kiss.
1: I want John Cougar.
2: That's it. You know, yeah, that's a crazy. Going back
1: to the store, <laughs> I probably cost myself a what a several hundred-dollar item uh, mistake collection piece. But now I'm searching for like the Holy Grail. That's well,
3: anyway, crazy.
1: That's my That is that that that, that the song was on that Creatures' album, and that. To this day I'm still yeah I, I have checked his mess board and stuff and and I belong to the thumb still there is somebody who claims he has one in like Australia or something but he won a godly amount of money for it and uh, you know I'm still on the, still on the uh, the, the uh, print so to speak journalists the uh, lifestyle right. um, so I'm not gonna pay that yet but I'm gonna keep looking and, and maybe hopefully score on from there. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, I might buy a couple on eBay and see what they have we'll just take a chance, but not. That's uh yeah, has that ever happened to you? I mean, can you imagine the whole I mean, how do you get wrong a whole album on the side, <laughs> side of an album? Where were they would the, take that record point, right?
2: The closest story I have to that is the day that the Versus album came out, the Second Pearl Jam album. It was my mom's yeah. birth. It was my mom's. It came out on my mom's birthday in 1993. I was 13, so after my mom's birthday dinner, we went to the Wall. Did you guys have the Wall? It's like a record store in malls called the Wall. I don't know.
1: Uh, I don't think so. No.
2: So I went to the Wall.
1: The so. where's strawberries? Where's strawberries?
2: Yeah, and I bought it on tape and CD, and um, I bought it on tape. Because I wanted to be able to sit in the car and stuff, and I bought it on CD uh, to play on our CD player. So anyway, so the CD was completely normal, but on the tape, uh, if you remember the cassettes, when you took it out, it would have like the white printing of the like sometimes the all the tracks, sometimes just the name of the band and the album. Well, it said Pearl Jam, yeah, and then yeah. under it, it said Five Against One, not Versus. Yeah. And I didn't know why. It turned out it was because oh. the album was gonna be called Five Against One, but then they changed their mind oh. and named it Versus, but oh. it was too late those tapes were printed. So I still have that tape actually. So Oh, that's worth something
1: like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot cool.
2: of them I think, so I don't think it's worth that much, but it is like you know, every like real big yeah. Pearl Jam fan wants okay. to have one of those, you know what I mean? Like it's like a <laughs> it's like a key Pearl Jam collector item. Not a huge class, yeah. but I like uh, having I, stuff like that. I
1: love big stuff, you know i mean we've we've all heard about the you know the Billy Ripping cards, you know Yeah. mhm f you written on his baseball bat, that somehow pass through uh, but uh yeah no, it's, that's uh you know kiss um well i i uh, kiss is kind of at the end of the re- run pretty much probably, but I am seeing ACDC on Monday night with my son in a, at the Pepsi Center for the first time ever. So um, that's awesome. Live another another night for me at least for, for his first show. I was I'm excited.
2: Yeah, I've been I, I haven't um, been to many shows, but I have a nice run coming. I got Springsteen coming up at the end of the month. Oh, he's, he's, nice. Yeah, he's playing here. We then
1: saw him in Denver. I'd never seen Springsteen until I saw him like two years ago. i Denver and been. You know, I was like, yeah, I can take a Springsteen or
2: u good kind of guy. You know, I like
1: some of the songs. And then I saw this concert, and I'm like, wow, okay,
2: now I get it. Yeah, now I get it. Yeah, so I, it was fun to watch. I have that, and then I have ACDC's coming here as well. I'm going to go to that. Um, okay. And uh, I got some Pearl Jam finally in the spring. I've been to 78 Pearl Jam concerts, but I haven't been to one since. Um, 2000 at the end of 2013, so it's been a while. So I'm cool. anxious. Yeah, Kiss,
1: t- Kiss is actually playing uh, Frontier Days up in Wyoming this summer, so I think I might go up for that. But you know, since Kiss turned into a tribute band, basically with with no more um, no more Australian Peter Chris, so it's been harder to to see. Although, I, you know, I I still my my level for Kiss fandom, uh, went up even more, and I got a chance to actually interview Paul's family about a few years ago, and met him in a bookstore. Book. Um He uh, did an article about his coming book tour, and uh, it helped his sales. I guess. It went to number one, and then we're all of a sudden, um, for that one week, and uh, so but I got to meet Paul. out was a real man. I'll tell you what, meet your legendary hero of the Rockstar as a kid, he, it's it's amazing. It's funny because he kept trying to stand on his tippy toes when he was posing pictures with me. Because yeah, you know everybody got a picture with Paul, but he tried to stand on his real tippy toes to look a little taller. <laughs> I'm six six. He's about probably about five
2: eleven. Yeah, six, maybe. W- <laughs> One of my Pearl Jam shows at MSG, Ace was there. Played uh played with them for a bit. Played like maybe really? yeah, he played like about. They played a cover of uh, Black Diamond. That's the name of the song, right? The Kiss song. Oh
1: yeah. Yes, yeah, so
2: they played that. He played on that, and then I think, oh. I think they played Rockin' in the Free World, and I think he played on that too. I think that's what it was. But yeah, he was definitely yeah. there. Cool. Yeah. yeah, he was tough to pick cool. out well, at, at first, like out of makeup. You know, It's like, got to f- yeah, figure it out.
1: A, he's not a, a particularly
2: uh, Yeah, to figure it out a for lot a, of a rough second. Years of age. I was like, oh yeah, that's Ace Freely, that's who that is Then like a minute after I figured out The guitar player for Pearl Jam I ran over And was like, Ace hey, Freely, Ace hey, Freely He was real pumped that, that, You know, he's a big guitar guy, all, loves all Ace, of,
1: yeah All the band you saw Wouldn't wouldn't be much into KISS Most of them are KISS mean, just, just may not have been the, the greatest musical band But they set, they've just set so many standards For, for yeah. what, you know, rock and roll You know, could be And showmanship and all that stuff <laughs> Everybody, everybody had a Kiss album as a kid growing up. If you're over let's say thirty five,
2: and that's so, what that's yeah. one one thing for me. Like, kind of, it seems like you're doing with your son. You know, originally I learned about rock and roll from my dad, and Pearl Jam was like the first band that was kind of my band. That wasn't like one of my dad's bands. Yeah. And one thing that I've mm-hmm. always taken a lot of pride in, kind of settling on them, yeah. is I can always go back to my dad and say, like, these guys love all of the bands you do and they show them the utmost respect and look at how much you know look at how much those guys respond to that i mean pearl jam is one of the most liked bands by musicians yeah. especially the generation yep. before them whether it's neil young or the yep. ramones or the who or whoever it's like a long list yep. and you know so i've always really i like that part of yep. loving them you know what i mean it's like a it's a cool thing. So, right? How are concerts yeah, in like the it. in the Avalanche Arena? Is it a good spot for a show? I mean, I know you're spoiled because it's so close time? to Red Rocks. I said, how are concerts in the in the Avalanche Arena? Is that a good spot or? Oh, you
1: know, they're, they're just every other you know, yeah. arena, um, same exact experience. There's, there's um, there is a giant, really nice new scoreboard up in the Tesla Center, which. Um, I guess they don't always use it for concerts, though. But um, you know, I think they pull that up, maybe or move it, because a lot of the bands use their own video right. and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, it's fine. I mean, it's 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 every other arena. The really place, the real place to see a concert in Colorado, of course, is Red, Red Rock. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing to top that whatsoever. I mean, it's a legendary place. It's built into a mountain. It's the acoustics are unbelievable. The view from from beyond the stage is like a hundred mile view. You know, it's uh, it can't be topped, you know. It's a, a nice, warm summer night with the lanterns going, they have, um, you know, the, the way the, the sunsets that can come in just as the band is taking stage and it gets darker. I mean, it's just it's, it's one of a kind of experience. I mean, you know, the Beatles have played there. Everybody's sitting right there, and their, yeah. that stage is just so so uh you know um, um, iconic you know so what was it, the best show the best. Uh, there's some other good theaters though. I mean the old Denver Coliseum is still kicking it's a kind of a what, really old broken down arena but it's still still really a great place to see a concert because they have these um they have a great acoustics in there because they have all these
3: like mm-hmm.
1: uh like uh, um like banners that are sort of hanging Not banners, but they're like maps or something. They kind of absorb all the sound.
2: Yeah. I think we had and something similar falling. in the odd. Yeah. I think a lot of the old buildings had yeah. like that. Yeah. The old buildings are notorious for like, we're awesome for concerts. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So they're good. I mean, Elvis played there and who, and they started out a lot of notorious stuff in there, but, uh, uh unfortunately they just had a shooting here the other day. Um, mm-hmm. so, Thanks. uh, yeah, Denver's a concert town, too. It's it's and it's it's getting you know it's been memorializing some good songs too, you know. Yeah. He's out of Denver, baby, go go by Bob Seger. Uh, you know, uh, of course you got John Denver and his Rocky Mountain High, but <laughs> which is a good song when you really think about it. You know. Yeah. It's little it used to be something I'd mock as a teenager, but now you know, fifty years old. I'm, Oh, wow, that's a good song. <laughs> yeah, no, Denver's a concert town. It's all you have in a community here. A much underrated Denver's music scene. Uh, a lot of bands come out of here, too. Not a lot, but, you know, the fray came out of here. Um, it's um, it's a definitely a lively scene for, for me. That, you know, something I've always appreciated being in being, uh, Colorado right now for the last 26 years.
2: If uh, If a band sticks, skips Denver... Is there a, where would they go instead? What, like, what's the closest city that people like on the East Coast? All these cities are so close to each other. That's why I've been able to go to so yeah. many Pearl Jam shows. When you're in Denver, if they don't, if a band doesn't come to Denver, you kind of stuck. Like, what? What? What's the closest?
1: No, uh, you probably uh, you probably drive over the mountains or fly over the mountains to uh, either um, Utah, Utah, Salt Palace, or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Called now. Yeah. Uh, or maybe Vegas,
2: the Vegas. Vegas show. Yeah. GNR uh, is playing their first two shows in Vegas. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. at the yeah. new,
2: at their yeah. their brand new arena behind New York, New York, where they want to oh, have the NHL right. team. Yeah. What's what's it called again? Uh,
1: T-Mobile. Uh, cellular Arena. T-Mobile, like
2: yeah. T-Mobile is the you know the T-Mobile arena, yeah. right, right?
1: Yep. You was know, the fiber phone company.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah,
1: that's, that's almost ninety-five percent down right here. I'm talking the Vegas beat writer from. Uh, Las Vegas Review Journal at the All Star Game, sitting right next to him, guy named Steve Karp, and uh, he said it's it's uh, almost done. So I mean, it's pretty much considered the fate accompli that uh, Vegas is going to get the NHL team. My bet is that they're going to announce it during the uh, award show this summer. There, I would obviously be an obvious place to do it, Las Vegas award show. So,
2: yeah, Batman so, kind so, of stay tuned. Batman sort of glossed over expansion in his State of the Union or whatever at the All Star Game. Um, yeah, but.
1: well, the word I hear is it's coming in the in the summer.
2: Yeah, two um, teams or one?
1: I think it's only gonna be one. Yeah, there's a lot of worry about Quebec, mm-hmm. and it's not because they don't have their act together in Quebec. It's so much more to do damn uh, Canadian loony down to you know sixty percent right. of the American value right now.
2: Yeah, it's great for Buffalo. It'll be a big,
1: mm-hmm. you know, the the deal still hinges at five hundred million. Um, American dollars, but that's turned into like 800 million Canadian dollars. So it's getting pricey. Uh, then we got the salary cap stuff. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't claim to know as much on Quebec's situation. Uh, I did. The, the, uh, I'll just sort of go along with the herd from what it was being tossed around in, in Nashville among the, all the reporters and everybody I was talking to. Quebec doesn't look like it's going to get something right right away. It's going to be It's gonna be only one team, only uh, Las Vegas. Did you have fun? Don't have to have. What's that?
2: No, I was just gonna say, did you have fun in Nashville? I'm sorry, I didn't realize you had another another point.
1: Yeah, I I did. I, uh, you know, I haven't been around uh, league events in about a year. Yeah, Um, took us about a year away from the business, so to speak. Um, And uh, you know, I went into a little a little bit of trepidation in some ways, but. It went as well as I could expect. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I normally hate, I hate to strong a word, but I never liked covering all-star games in the past. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, this is this, this is just another exercise in meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be a great story, obviously. Yeah. It turned out to be the best sports story of the weekend in the country with the John Scott stuff and you know, the three on three was a massive success and everything else. So yeah, it turned out to be a great time. Uh, so, I, uh, I enjoyed covering it enjoyed seeing everybody again and, uh, enjoy hopefully seeing them a lot more. And, uh, I guess I even toured a, an old civil war, Southern mansions. Uh, my, one of the, my flight to Denver got postponed by a day cause of a big storm here. And, uh, so one of the things I did on the day off uh, Monday was to uh, visit the, the what's called the Carnton Plantation House. It's a the house that stood on a, a piece of land where they had the Battle of Franklin. That's a, a real battle of the Civil War. Didn't go too well for the South. <laughs> um, but I toured the mansion that there was on the ground and was used as a kind of a hospital. Uh, while the injured soldiers came in. And uh, it was just incredibly, for me, a history buff like me to walk around the room and see what it was like in these rooms and, you know, 1830s-style rooms, 1855, or excuse me, it was built in 1830 and used in the war. So
3: right.
1: You could still see the blood stains on, on certain parts of the floor from when the soldiers were brought in and being treated. Uh, that's kind of one of the morbid, uh, features of the house you still see the blood stain, so 200 years later whatever so pretty uh, pretty
2: weird and pretty interesting place yeah uh, I enjoyed it I went to uh, Dallas a few so, years ago and uh, I went yeah. to I went to Daily Plaza because I've always been a huge yeah you know a huge fa- you know huge Kennedy guy and huge very interested I used to live in Hyannis dude yeah I really live in
1: Hyannis, Mass. I used to I used to drive right by the Kennedy house all the time and hope to see people I saw I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger walking by one day to get the Sunday paper Sunday Boston Globe uh, I actually said hi to him that's And uh he was great he was really nice I saw JFK Jr. a couple times just fooling around town and uh yes there were some pretty ladies in the car with him <laughs> <laughs> this guy yeah I definitely had no trouble there you'd appreciate
2: um, this story then so I was at my brother graduated yeah. from Yale in May he played hockey at Yale. He's not yeah. smart or anything. He just yep. looks good at hockey. He's kind of smart, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, he was in one of the t- secret societies at Yale. And the day before graduation, yeah. day before graduation, he was allowed to bring me and my dad to to uh, oh. in there for just for a little while. It's, it was stupid, but whatever. So me and my brother were walking over there, and uh, this kid was walking towards us, and we stopped, and the kid. Said him and my brother were talking about what they were, where they were going, what they were doing the next day, what time they had to be. Whatever they had a little conversation, and my brother's like, "Hey, I think the kid's name is John. I don't remember." He's like, "Hey, John, this is my brother Steve," and shook his hand and nice to meet you. We walk, we go a little bit further up. My brother's like, "You know who that was?" He's like, "No." He's like, "Oh, that's JFK's grandson." Wow. I was like, "Oh, really?" He's like, JFK's "Yeah." JFK's
1: grandfather.
2: Yeah, JFK was his grandfather. grandfather's like- Caroline's son. Caroline's son. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, he's in That's awesome. Graduate with my yeah. brother. Uh, yeah.
2: My brother got invited oh, to the party at the at the his graduation party at the Kennedy house or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did you go? No, he is somewhere else. I don't know. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's oh. like you're not going, but Oh Yeah, I don't know. Oh man. I was like, can I go? You know? I, he's I I I
1: I've read all the books. Um uh, yeah. all the
2: conspiracy films and you
1: uh, know I've been to Billy Plaza at least Dozen times myself, and been in the museum, and stood by the sixth floor window, and all that stuff. That, um, it completely fascinated me for a long time. Um,
2: yeah, we had a guy on a and, few years uh, ago.
1: You know, here's a good story too. Yeah. Here's a good, we're gonna talk hockey in this podcast, right? Yeah, we'll get to it. our listeners that we will yeah. eventually, right? But yeah, whatever. We'll get here's to a good quick, quick story. Mm-hmm. Here's a quick, uh, I used to cover auto racing for the Denver Post way back in the early nineties. Uh, one of my many hats I wore. So I go to, up to cover this thing called the Pikes Pike Peak Hill Climb where they race up Pikes Peak. And uh, we you take this sort of uh, um, tr- trestle-bridge uh, train you go up the mountains. Anyway, on the mountain, on the train with us, this guy starts, he's talking, and he's like, he's talking about uh, Kennedy thing and uh, Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby and stuff. And so I'm like... Oh, I'm gonna add you into this conversation because I'm a I'm a boss for sure. I just a couple of years before I was living in the Hyannis, This guy starts talking like he really like really knows what he's talking about. Like, oh yeah, when then the, Ruby walked into the station and all this stuff, and and then I saw him and he goes, and I go, wait a minute, you saw him? Well, it turned out the guy on the train with me was a guy named Bob Jackson, who snapped a famous photo of Ruby shooting Oswald.
2: Oh wow, the one
1: that won the fuel Prize.
2: Yeah, I know the photo. I, as soon he as you it. I was on the
1: same train with him.
2: Wow.
3: We're,
1: and we got two hours to kill to get up this mountain. So that was a kid in a candy store talking about the whole thing. Well, here, here I am talking to the guy who took the actual photo.
3: That's and, cool. Um,
1: he wrote. he was a photographer for the Colorado Springs Gazette for, for many years after after all that. But he, he can you imagine? No. If he still owns it, right to the photo, if he still gets a cut, anytime that photo is show he's made... Lots of money off
2: of it. That's awesome. Um, That's a great shot, isn't too. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's a great photo.
1: Oh. Yeah, oh. and there's a great story about how the Dallas Morning News photographer just barely missed the same shot. Like a split second before he got a shot that was um, Ruby coming at him with the gun, but he hadn't fired yet. You've probably seen that photo before. Um, but uh, but Jackson's got the the actual shot when it happened and it's just such a better shot obviously with all everybody's face and horror and all that Oswald's face um, it ended up being a tragic thing for the guys from the morning news who didn't get the, that shot because that was a huge newspaper war at the time Jackson worked for the Dallas Times Herald they wouldn't appeal to surprise. The they got all the fame for it and the Dallas morning news uh, didn't and their photographer sort of sank into a Deep depression and alcoholism after that. And wow. it was never the same, I guess. So, so yeah, huh. pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. I was talking to my brother about like, maybe I don't know if it's the next day or later. I was like, you know what I wonder about your classmate there? I was like, I wonder if he's ever seen this Zapruder film, you know, like that's the one, yeah. thing, that's the one thing like that we were talking about. I was just trying to put it into perspective in our heads. It's like, like, okay, we have one grandpa. He died. We have one who's still alive. And he'll die, and he'll just we'll will be sad. We'll bury him, we'll go on. No one, you know, no one but us will think about it. But here's a kid who never met his grandpa, but he's a super famous individual. And also, mm-hmm. there's this really graphic video of his death. And not only is his grandfather in it, yeah. but also his grandmother. You know, um, and I just like, I'm sure you're born and you, and yeah. in that family, and you know about these things that happened, and they probably kind of shield you from it. But then at some point. This kid's sitting in front of his laptop. Yeah, at some point he's sitting in front of yeah. his laptop, right? And he makes that decision on yeah. his own, like, all right, I'm gonna look at this stuff or, or I'm not, you know?
1: I know. That's that's true and that's that's awful. And same thing with RFK's kids. I mean, he had right? nine kids he had like what, six, seven kids and they all I've seen shows on him where they, they apparently still try not to watch it, but yeah, obviously it was traumatic for them to watch. Um there's a there's a great documentary on uh, Ethel Kennedy. She's still alive, Robert RFK's wife, uh, and uh, you know there's all kinds of stuff in there from the kid's perspective on that, and you know what a tragic thing that was. God, I was I was only three years old at the time, but the more you learn about RFK, is you just you think how much better would our country have been if he'd been just alive and done done the things he probably would. I mean. Right, I know. Right you know, we we go right into, you know, you know, Richard Nixon from there and you know just, <laughs> I guess I should leave it at that.
2: Yeah, I mean and That's it's so such a hard. this year, I mean, we just had this kind of almost of a circus of a thing in Iowa the other day and we have these candidates yeah. who I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or an independent, I'm sure you're not overwhelmingly thrilled with the candidates, I mean.
1: Oh. Listen, I mean... You know, you know like, I don't really know, know where this. you turn. And, and People the, know this about me. And I'm, I'm a pretty good liberal. I mean, you know, my mother was a campaign manager for George McGovern in 72 in New Hampshire, and uh, not the manager of the whole campaign, but she was a lead of the New Hampshire office. Um, so, I mean, you know, I grew up with... You know, I grew up partially on a, a hippie commune in Vermont, living in the teepee uh, with my dad as he built his own house. He... uh there's a lot of long hair and a lot of green uh, cannabis stuff. There's yeah, you were born of, uh, to be
2: liberal. You were born to be a liberal. It's in your blood.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I'm, you know, I grew up. I, I saw no nukes stickers on every bulldog and bug you can name in Vermont. And uh, you know, so that's yeah, that's how I grew up. So, yeah. But you know, I can't say that I'm just. I mean, Hillary just doesn't excite me whatsoever. And you know Bernie Sanders, you know as much as I like him, I just think you know he's he's too old and he's not going to get his stuff done in the office. He's, never, nothing's ever going to get to no. Congress, if he was the president, I mean, uh-huh. we're never going to have free college. You know, I mean, that's just a pipe dream. So I just sort of have these these two candidates now, where I'm thinking, Man, one one I don't really like that much, He's probably going to have best you know the best chance to actually win. And the other one's just kind of a, you know, a utopian socialist that nothing that nothing's ever going to happen that way. So and I've been uh, definitely been a I, you know, I mean, the Republicans are you know nothing I'm really excited
2: about there either. So um, yeah, I mean my, definitely
1: not very excited about this election.
2: I'm a uh, like I'm a classic East Coast Republican. You know I'm not really religious. Yeah. I'm not religious. I, you know I'm not. I would nothing would make me happier than for the Republican Party to be able to untangle itself with the religious mm. right. You know what I mean? Like that's absolutely not my mm. agenda. You know, I'm
0: mm-hmm.
2: big Reagan guy. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, you like know. Yeah, I, I like Reagan. Yeah, I like Reagan. I'm a moderate. I mean,
1: I remember being at the college kid in the '80s, thinking, you know, this guy feels like you know we're winning again, you know, or you know, he's,
2: He's, in charge. he's a real leader
1: you know I may not agree with everything else, and I didn't care about politics as much I mean, as a college
2: kid but you know I always thought
1: you know hey this guy's, not, you know, this guy's gonna kick some ass off. you know and I always like that part of him
2: yeah and I liked Clinton you know I liked Bill a lot I thought he was a great democratic president I wasn't old enough but I would have absolutely voted for him the second time for sure um, yeah. you know and yeah. uh, but there's nothing like that anymore yeah. I mean politics have gotten so far away from the idea of anyone on either side, like, respecting the other guy. It's like, we went through it eight years of Bush with everyone yeah, I mean, everyone hating, everyone on the left is, hating him.
1: Compromise is seen as death now. Compromise, yeah. is, compromise is weakness. Compromise used to be I actually got stuff done now. Compromise is, is a, and you know, the minute you do compromise, you legions of social media people on either side just take to take to their screens and start typing in what a coward you are. And, uh, you
2: know, uh, so. Yeah, we missed the days of the JFKs no. and the Reagans and the bipartisan presidents. Not that necessarily of those guys were all that bipartisan, um, but they were respected cool. by the country as a whole. Anyway, uh, we're here with we're way in the yeah. weeds. We're here with uh, Adrian Dater. Uh, how are we doing on time? You you got a hard out, or we got to talk a little hockey here? Yeah, we... I got no, I got
3: no, no
1: I got nothing tonight. I'm uh, I'm here as long as you want.
2: I'm uh, all right. Well, I'm, you... I'm
1: getting ready to write an article tomorrow about. Uh, where Jonathan Drewin may be going, so I got to be put on the reporter hat tomorrow, making calls.
2: So okay, well, well um, before your next article, we can talk about that. Or we can talk
1: about anything else.
2: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about one of your last articles before we get into your future ones. You got to spend some time yeah. following Eichel a bit, tracking down the story of Eichel, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's interesting because I talked about you know debating with Mike Harrington, who is obviously a guy who was very vocal last year about kind of being disgusted with the Sabers, and he's kind of an anti-tanker, maybe we called them in Buffalo, you know, and I was very much as just a fan, I was very much a tanker, like, I didn't see any reason not to do it, you know, I was all in, I, I didn't pay for the tank, I didn't buy any tickets or go down there at all last year, which is the first year probably of my life I didn't go to a game, but. Um, You know, at the end of the day, this is what we got. We have this amazing 19-year-old American um, kid who's done nothing but validate everything we hope so far. Um, I don't know if he's Conor McDavid or not. I don't know that it matters. Um, If he's he's never anything but the second-best player in the league, we'll be fine with that. Um, But uh, tell me a little bit just about... I don't know what you learned about Eichel you didn't know, kind of what struck you about him. Just what was it like to spend some time kind of chasing that story down?
1: Yeah, it's... Um, it was brought up to me by the Bleacher Report bosses, really, that uh, it wasn't my suggestion. It was they wanted to see what, well, let's do a story about, uh, you know, obscurely getting the lives of one of these players, and let's, let's do Eichel since he's, you know, the top American, and maybe there's some. You yeah, um, patriotism, fly, flag flying there on this whole idea of him being the, the top hockey, top American prospect of the future, you know, that's sort of the angle. Um, but let's go, let's go see him and talk with him and, um, try to, try to figure out what his life did. I mean, he's only 19, so there's not a lot to, not going to be a long biography here. But, uh, uh, so, you know, I was all game for it. I, um, so the first time i never, you know, I knew we weren't going to be able to go see Eichel for a while. So I started out on a trip to Boston in November that I combined with a couple other stories. Uh, Eichel, Eichel was one of them. I was going to go to North Chelmsford to, to, uh, see where I grew up, you know, yeah, as I know that area as an Eastern guy growing up in New Hampshire. I know, I know that area pretty well, actually. Um, you know, always coming in there I'm up on Route ninety three, it's just off to the to the left of ninety three really and uh um so um one of the comp one of the early complications I had for the story though was that Bob Michael's dad and, and the mom didn't want to be quoted for it. So I go, uh oh uh-oh. And, <laughs> and already I'm strike one on this thing. They 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 just you know Apparently, just not like to do much now. Bucky Gleason got a fantastic story in the summer where he went up in North Chelsea for too.
2: Yeah, I remember and it.
1: Bob and Hitchcock. He was in the house and he got a, they got a great picture of his wall that they shot puck shot and everything that. So, so going into it, I knew it was never going to be as good as Bucky's story anyway. But Bucky actually gave me a couple numbers and stuff, and gave me some tips that helped me out. Um,
2: yeah, we like Bucky. But, good guy, Bucky. So
1: Bucky, uh, yeah, Bucky's a good, that was a really good story, and, uh, um, you know, I really wish we'd gotten that photo ourselves, but uh, it's, that's, that was a one-shot deal, like, apparently, apparently, Bucky knew, uh, Bucky had a mutual friend of Jack's, apparently, but, and that's the only reason he got the interview, that's what Bob said, anyway, gotcha. so good for Bucky, good for the of news, uh, I didn't know, I have a mutual friend. <laughs> I did email Bob, and he just politely declined. So he, he didn't want to. I think it's the jinx kind of thing, the England thing, which I get totally get because I'm known for my jinxes, and I believe in jinxes. And he probably didn't want to jinx his son by talking too much about him. So that's fair game. Anyway, I went, to, I went up to Chelmsford, and I, you know, I saw the break we played at, and I, I ended up having a brunch at a diner there, where where it's kind of a local diner, kind of a you know, you know if if, if, if North Chelmsford, where it's the Andy Griffith Show, you know, this would be, uh, you know, the Rosie's Diner would be uh, the equivalent of, uh, you know, the Diner, I guess, was in Mayberry. So, um, so I had a great talk with some locals there. Rosie, the owner, and she knew Jack and remembered him. And so I got got some good color there, I thought. Um, talked to one of his best friends, um, uh, Brian Ferry. Uh, Danny Ferry, excuse me, not, not the singer of rock and music, but Danny Ferry, and not the former basketball player Danny Ferry either, <laughs> so, still differently, um, so, you know, I kept working there, and then I went to Boston University, and that was um, uh, David Quinn, the coach, and the, some of the players who played with him, and that was fun.
2: Yeah, you talked to O'Regan um, and those guys? So, O'Regan, Re- Re- yeah, yeah,
1: and uh, the coach was great, sat in Quinn's office, I knew Quinn from before he was assistant with the Avalanche, so I already had a... A nice evening with him there, and sat in his office and talked to him. Scott Young was in the system too. I covered as a player of the Avalanche, so so that went well. And, uh, and uh, uh, that was phase one of the story. Well, um, turned out they wanted to send me to Phoenix to do some stories um, in uh, last month, January. So Buffalo was schedule to play the Coyotes, so they they flew me out to Phoenix to do that to to hopefully get Eichel there and do a couple other things, a couple of which are still in the can pending and it's going to come out soon. And, uh, I had a good time with Michael. I mean, uh, that's where I really got to see him and observe him. And I think, I, you know, I, I think that's my strength as a writer is just observing people a little bit. And, and, and you know, that whole writer thing of just taking in what I see and trying to make sense of it. I'll interpret it. And, uh, I just saw a very confident kid who, uh, I was struck by the fact of how, him, how he always it seemed everybody's questions as they were coming in. He, he seemed to be so impatient for them to finish their questions because he already knew what they were going to ask, and it, it was funny to me how he kept he'd always go like, yep, yeah, uh-huh, mm, yeah, yeah," like get get to the point, you know. <laughs> and so I. I Use that, and my, you know, I tried to equate that as a metaphor for his being impatient for for everything and being impatient for stardom and the that whole angle. And I think it may have fit what people tell me about his personality that he's he's so driven and so works so hard and just so ambitious to do to be the best that he almost can't wait. You know, literally can't wait. And but he's having to deal with having to wait as a rookie in the highest league. Uh, ever and that's been something of an adjustment for him he's been the superstar everywhere he's been in life mm-hmm. he's having a fine rookie season it's, has he been the, the best rookie in the NHL though probably not right he's probably in finish second or third in the caller right now if, if we had the vote he's got plenty of time to make it up but
2: yeah I mean probably the best you know, rookie, so rookie
1: the is
2: best yeah Panarin's probably the best rookie but he's twenty twenty four 24 or something right I mean Playing with yeah, Patrick but I Kane. also
1: think you know you got to put Larkin ahead of him. Right? Yeah, and Larkin gets I mean, to play with uh, you know
2: Zetterberg every night too. I, yeah, I, I mean but, that's look at it, if uh, Larkin uh, is a little better, that's fine. I mean that's fine. He uh, Eichel <laughs> Eichel didn't have a great November. You know, um, he def, yeah. he slowed no, down in it. November, but he's been great the last the last twenty games. I think. Yeah, I think he's been. No, no. Yeah, uh, the, I'm,
1: not, I'm not saying he's not in this, but I'm saying he's. Yeah, no, he
2: wouldn't win it if the vote was tomorrow. No, no, he has not run
1: away with anything. No, yeah. he Mm -mm. You know, McDavid, let's face it, if McDavid were totally
2: healthy, we'd probably be
1: talking McDavid, right? I mean, wouldn't
2: we? Yeah, probably. He'd probably, yeah. And all McDavid has to do is um, be on the ice when a goal is in and he gets a point. So, I mean, this guy gets more assists. I mean, he gets assists from the bench, I think. (laughs) Uh, Michael didn't have an assist, like, the whole first month because... Evander Kane couldn't shoot it in the back of a barn If the barn was
3: <laughs> empty
2: but, but, I mean no, McDavid's the opposite no, I, Yeah, I think yeah, McDavid well, had two assists while he was injured I think I saw in the box score a, a couple of weeks ago He wasn't, <laughs> wasn't back yet And he had an assist So, I, I mean, he's it. really good I
3: love it I, I hope you keep this
1: up This could be like a bird magic thing for, <laughs> like, uh, for a long time I feel uh, it I'm ready I'm ready to go won't. Okay, well, good. Yeah, cause it, he can know, be my he could be my. I kill would definitely benefit from that. I, I do. I really wish. I mean, I really want to see that first Michael McDavid game. That's going to be whenever that, Is That already passed? Have they already played twice?
2: No, they still oh, one left no. in February.
1: Oh, good. Sometime. Good, good, good. I think so yeah, Feb, I mean, this month. I think
2: enough. yeah, they they still have one. They have okay. one yeah. Yeah, let me tell good, you. All right, all right well, let me ask you a couple questions about Michael. Let me slow okay. you down a bit. Uh, you're doing a great job there, but I want—I I, got to get a little bit more specific on a few things. Um, I, I like—I really liked the decision to move in with Molson. Now, it's backfired a little bit because we yeah. probably could have cut Molson by now, um, or at least sent him to Rochester. I don't done something with him. I don't shoot him anything other than have to play him every <laughs> night. Uh, but um, I, I like that, and and they, there's a great video. They did a great video together for Sabers.com. And you know, Eichel's like on the ground playing mini sticks with the with the Molson kids who maybe try them instead of the dad. I don't know. Um, mm. <laughs> but I mean, they can't yeah, do. Terrible. They can't do worse. I mean, you know. <laughs> no,
1: literally, they can't.
2: No, they couldn't score less. <laughs> they, I've we,
1: had the old money. We haven't got as many goals as Matt Molson in the last what fifteen games. Yeah, they would. They, they couldn't my,
2: score yeah. any less than Matt Molson. Um, and and that's one thing that's yeah. driving me. Now it's a di- different conversation for a different time about Bilesma. The only thing I haven't liked about him is he's way too kind to veterans. I mean, whether it's Molson yeah. or Gianta, or any of the other veterans yeah. who have struggled. I mean, Gianta, is from Rochester and played on yeah. the on the Junior Sabers there, the Niagara Scenics then before he went to BC. I don't think he Gianta could yeah. make the Junior Sabers tomorrow, but. um we're, okay, back.
1: Tell you a little aside.
2: Yeah, Back to Eichel.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Eichel. Yeah. Quick mm-hmm. about Biosma. I, I noticed I noticed when I was in the locker room that Biosma almost exclusively talked only to, to, to the veteran guys like like a or Gianca.
2: Oh um, yeah, you um, can totally kind of feel that. Around kind, that.
1: kind mm-hmm. of with him and stuff, but the rookies almost never talked to him. That's just what I
2: noticed. He's a definite veteran. You he, he huh?
1: talk to some rookie that got into a fight. At the end of the
2: uh, Coyotes game, I can't
1: remember a big Swedish kid or something. Uh, was it
2: the uh, uh, liking on his name? But he, he spent some time with him. Yeah, Nick Delamere. Like, on
1: the back. What? Yeah. So, but yeah, if I, I mean, been was known as a, as a veteran guy for sure. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. It's that, obvious. Yeah. You know,
2: but that's yeah. fine. They're going to have to. Well, they're going to need to mix veterans in if they're going to want to compete soon, because you know their best players are so yeah. young. Um, and pretty soon, Ryan O'Reilly, I'm sure, will be the guy that will take up all his time, and that's fine. Ryan O'Reilly's been great. Yeah. You know, it's been great to have him, and he's been, you know, post-Tim Hortons, he's done everything right here. Um, so. Uh, there's nothing of
1: my avalanche people tell me. They're, they're <laughs> I know you
2: got into it with a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, right. I did. I did have a night battling with some avalanche fans, that's right. I was intentionally trolling he, uh, a little bit, but
3: he's
1: definitely good ill all. I told you what he's like. I remember you asked me, "Like, yeah, he's a good player." Yeah, um, he's, he's 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 a little slow, right? I mean, he's yeah. not he's not fast, fast, but he's, he just always managed to get there. Yeah, I and mean, he's got quick feet and hands around the net. Yeah, yeah he's, and, he's, he's the real deal. He's a an
2: all And like I told you about Kane he's not being that with himself
1: too. He hates being a minus player, though. So I know he's really. Bummed out that he's been a minus. That's probably been playing with you know some of the guys he played with, right? Yeah, In he's a great f-
2: he's a great finisher, which has been a thing that I, I yeah. was a little bit I don't know if surprise is the right word, but you know, like I told you about Eichel, yeah, could, you it. not getting any assists early because Kane can't finish. Um, but he, you yeah. know, he's the opposite. Okay, yeah, talk more about Eichel, cause I to have, talk more about Eichel. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Eichel. Um, I was saying I love the decision to live with Molson, the thing that I've respected so much about him is it seems like every step of the way, whether it's deciding to go to Ann Arbor to be on the development team and go clearly stake his path as junior to college as opposed to going to the Quebec lead, right decision, total grand slam decision. He nailed that one, right? And probably everyone was telling him Mm -hmm. the opposite. You know, um Mm -hmm. Now that decision, now the decision on where to live in Buffalo, you know, now the decision on, and he just, it seems like he's just always right. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's Mm -hmm. surrounded by this great team. It just seems like he's just, he's got really good senses for doing the Mm -hmm. right things to be the guy he wants to be. Like, I haven't had a decision yet where I'm just like, oh, that's odd. You know, like, even if you want to compare him to Evander King, like, just the decision to live in that hotel there, um, that's a bad one to me. You know, that's not a good spot. That's not where you should be. Um, And and that that makes me question that guy a bit. Whereas Eichel's never made... There's never been a decision about Eichel where I'm like, I just like everything he does right. Everything he does, to me, it's right, and maybe it's because I want it to be. Maybe. But I think the reality is that... He's just, he's really mature mentally for his age. And I think his game on the defensive end has at times been immature, but on the offensive end, his game is very mature as well. Um, He's just, he doesn't feel like an 18 year old or 19 year old now. Um, And I wanted to know what kind of sense you got being around him in terms of his maturity and the way he makes decisions and the way he handles himself and what kind of vibe you got in that sense.
1: Well, I mean, I definitely got the sense that he's very mature. I mean, um, and I'm sure that goes back to having just a real stable house. You know, I don't know much about Evander Kane, but it, it, he probably don't want me. D- did Evander Kane have two strong parents in the house?
2: You know, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't, really I, know. I don't. Yeah.
1: Well, it be interesting to look up their how they grew up, because uh, that's so important, but, um, you know, he, he just... He, so what I gather, though, he, you know, he he wasn't Mister, um, you know, rah rah North Chelmsford kind of guy. I mean, there was actually apparently, when I gathered, some jealousy toward him in the in town because he didn't play, uh, didn't always want to play for the youth teams there because they, he didn't think they were good enough. So he went over to across the border to answer to play in some leagues out there because the competition was better. But I think when I gathered, some people thought he was you know,
2: stuck up. Big to, league in him, yeah. To be yeah. a more sheltered. hmm
1: So, um, <clears throat> but he was just probably just too way too good. You know, he had to. He, he always wanted to go where the best competition was. So, uh, maturity, you know, um, it's interesting. I would love to know, dive a little deeper into psychology. I, I do wonder, though, if maturity is something that, um, has he really earned it yet or not? Because, is he going to be really mature or not? Because what, he's had everything go right for him. Like you said, everything everything he does is right, right? right. Mm-hmm. So what happens when the first adversity hits? That's what I'd like to see. That's when I'll know if he's mature or not, you know, really mature. I mean, you know, you don't wish ill on him. But what's he going to be like when he, he tears a knee ligament like the first time that happens? Or what's he going to be like when he breaks a foot or, or something? Um, how's he going to react? Is he going to just um, accept it and overcome it? Or is he going to fall into some kind of thing where I'm Jack Eichel and things aren't supposed to go wrong for me? Well, he did
2: have know? the little thing with the That's YouTube easy. video, with the YouTube video at BU, where he's, obviously he was drunk. And he, what do he say, like, uh-huh. I'm coming for you, Buffalo, or whatever. And he had to deal yeah, with that. Yeah. You know, and he, he handled it in stride pretty well, I thought. I mean, it made, it pumped yeah, up I mean, everyone here in Buffalo because he made it made it seem like you know he was yeah. excited to to be here I mean, if that was the place. That's
1: just that's just social media. That I don't. You know, yeah, it's silly about stuff. That. You, he, know, you know, if we all had video cameras of ourselves in college, you know, we'd all be black and bought, You know, I mean,
2: when you said adversity, I certainly wouldn't like cameras on me when
1: I was in college. When you so, said adversity, I don't know. He,
2: No, let me just make this point. When you said adversity, you took it to injuries and things like that. And I wonder if we were having this conversation. Yeah, no, but I was just wondering if we were having this conversation in Chicago or Boston and we were talking about Pat Kane or Tyler Sagan at the time, we might have looked at adversity differently with them. You know, because we might have viewed that player at a lens of a different way and said, well, the adversity that's going to come for Tyler Sagan is going to be at a bar or or whatever or with Patrick Kane in a cab. And you didn't go to yeah. that. You know, you went to something different. That's just what came yeah. to your mind. And, yeah. you know, that, that – yeah. that I That's like probably, that about him. it probably know? makes
1: sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't think – I don't have a sense after the little I've known Michael and been around that he's going to – his career is going to get derailed by being caught in a bar or something. Um, he, you know, he's uh, – <laughs> I'm sure he's a kid who likes to have a, a good cocktail now and then. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it, The the overriding, what everybody will tell you is Eichel, that he, uh, that was the thing I kept trying to get out of him was, where does this drive come from? Because you didn't have the broken home that you would make, you know, somebody want to get out of there and all that story. You didn't have the, um, you know, you weren't bullied as a kid. It didn't seem like you weren't uh, picked on. You weren't, um, people didn't tell you you couldn't do it. You know, it seemed like everybody told you you could do it. So,
2: I think you just love talking. a maniacal
1: drive to want to go work out four times a day. And it's like, at the end of the day, I'm not sure he or I even knew yet. It's just the way it always has been, you know. Um, and that's why I don't think I'd worry about anything like that because you're just going to work so damn hard to get there. Uh, the only thing that seems to do, what, could derail Jack Eichel is something unfortunate out of his control, like an injury.
2: Yeah, and but you know, the way it seems. And, you know, watching Patrick Kane grow up here, um, Patrick yeah. Kane Patrick Kane was always on the ice. I mean, he yeah. he played – I remember I worked at a, a, one of the main ice drinks in Buffalo uh, in the pro shop when I was yeah. in high school. And Pat Kane was there every night. And every time he walked yeah. in the door, he was in equipment from somewhere he had just come from. I mean, he played. I remember. Yep. I remember when he was a squirt. He was playing for the Buffalo Regals. He played on their on a house league team for them, and a travel league team for them. And he played in a house league team wow. in South Buffalo too. I mean, sometimes wow. I, I think these guys—they're just. I think they really love hockey, and they don't want to do anything but that. And they and they—that
1: uh, is, that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. He nailed it there. I mean, that's Michael just wants to play enough for hockey and. and
2: yeah, and Corey, I know he's not a star, but Corey Conacher, um, he played at Canisius here, mm. and um, he mm. he uh, my when my brother played at St. Francis Prep, which is a prep school in Buffalo, and he's a senior, uh, the best player on his team went to play at Canisius and was line mates with Corey, and we got to know Corey a little bit, and one thing I, I was talking to my brother at the time was like, man, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who likes hockey as much as Corey does. Um, and I remember I hooked him up. He played some travel roller hockey um, one summer, played a, a couple of the big roller hockey tournaments with this guy. I knew I kind of hooked him up, and the kid. I remember the guy told me, he said, you know, I take kids to these tournaments all the time, really good teams, and have a chance to win. He's like, the one thing about Corey that was different is when all the other guys are out at night partying or whatever, enjoying the weekend, he was getting ready to go to sleep because we had a game, and all he, he just loved the hockey more than anything. And I think that's why yeah, a guy like Corey yeah. Conacher got to have as many NHL games as he did. You know,
1: it's right. Yeah, but, you, know, you just work hard enough. It's it. Most people just don't want to put in that time. He definitely uh, uh, Danny Ferry did say that on nights when the other kids were you know wanting to go to the ball or something, Michael was the one who wanted to go back to the rink or the gyms to do. You know, Hundred more chin ups So, very um, recently,
2: AD, ad listen to this. Very recently, you covered a superstar eighteen-year-old in Denver, right? You were yeah. you were there every day and watched an unbelievable eighteen-year-old season, one of the best probably in mm-hmm. NHL history. Um, who cool. say it again? Just a couple years ago in Denver, mm-hmm. you had an unbelievable eighteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, McKinnon. Yeah. yeah, McKinnon. Just so recently. So you got to live yep. the McKinnon rookie year and you just spent a little bit of time you got to see a couple games of Eichel. Tell me a little bit about what you see on the ice specifically and compare Eichel-McKinnon. I know their, their games are different, they're different players a little bit, but you know just yeah. the idea of being so young and playing at that level and how they're handling on the ice more specifically to maybe compare McKinnon yeah. and Eichel a little bit.
1: Well, Eichel. Go- Got a little different body frame. than him. He, he, for all the time in the weight room he's put in, he's still kind of a—I don't want to say skinny at all, but hes, he's still a little lot, uh, you know, lean looking, right? Yeah, he's uh, stringy, a little long.
2: Yeah, he's very long. Yep.
1: Yeah, he's stringy. Yep. There you go. That's the word. Um. It, so he—he he kind of uh doesn't look as strong on the on skates as maybe McKinnon does. Um. But yet, when you see him skate, you don't you don't see a weak weak player. You don't see him getting pushed around. You don't you don't see any of that. But he he sort of looks different. So I guess he he skates a little different. Nikitin is a blasting skating stride. I mean, these long skating strides where he's, um you know, he looks like a power skater almost when he skates mm-hmm. and he just blows by people. I I know that I definitely think Eichel's got good wheels. Uh, nothing wrong there. Not quite as fast as McKinnon. Um, I thought I I see I seem to think maybe I see a little bit more cerebral thinker though with the puck in with in Eichel that I don't always see with McKinnon. One of the things about McKinnon that's been criticized of him is he just he rushes things too much. He doesn't think when he's close to the net enough to to really finish. And I seem to notice that Eichel's better at that, uh, just what to do with the puck in close. He's a, he's a finisher. Yeah, a great shooter, too. I know one thing he told me, though, that he's been frustrated that I haven't finished enough this year. He hasn't finished enough of the chances. And he, you know, he's frustrated by that, but he's going to work his tail off and correct it. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I see a guy in Eichel, though, that likes to be around the net, a lot. I think McKinnon does too, but McKinnon is more of a slasher, coming, you know, blazing through the crease and making his move and, and in a shot and skating away. Michael seems like he wants to park, his, park in front of that a little bit more and, and get goals that way. So, you know, I think if McKinnon and Michael can uh, just really develop good chemistry with a, with a centerman, yeah, you I know, think. somebody you can go and really feed him the puck, that's. You know, then you're looking at 40 goals automatic every year with him. You know, he can just find his Adam Oates type of guy. I mean, it looks like he could be in the next Brett hole with his kind of sniping shot. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. And so, you you not know, you,
1: you talk that high, yet but it, that's the kind of what I see. I think I see a, a smart guy with the puck in close, knows what to do with it and put it away. And got a wicked one timer and uh, you know, a little hauling and um, just, just, just. Uh, not, not quite the, uh, you know, not quite the blazing one-on-one kind of guy so much, but, um, you know, a guy who's getting the puck
2: in good area and good things are going to happen. He talked about McKinnon, how he has such great A to B speed and how great of a slasher he is. One thing I noticed about Eichel is he's really good at changing speeds, especially through the neutral zone. To, yeah. to buy himself yeah. space. Yeah, he's really good at kind of yeah, backing so a guy so. down because he kind of slows up and then he takes these three strides that are quicker than you think he is. And he's really good at buying himself space that way. And I didn't notice, I didn't know that about him coming in. That's really impressed me. Yeah, I,
1: I think that's smart too, or most no good hockey says. Um, any criticism I might have had on Michael, and I definitely noticed some. Uh, Stuff away from the puck. That yeah
2: defense though. He doesn't yeah.
1: have the puck in his area that he does seem to. I'm not. You know, the world is a little mm-hmm. strong. He floats a, a bit. act as interested on in what he's doing, and that, I know that you know that's going to have to change. Um And it may, you know, defensive part of his game. I'm sure is something that Pelota's got to work on more than the offense, right?
2: Yeah, but, yeah. He, he, he can um, but, uh, float a bit. A bit
1: uh, little bit of. Uh, you know, if the puck's not right near him, he, I noticed that. You know, he it just—he's not. It just didn't seem as whatever word you want to use uh, into the play as as maybe he should. I don't
2: know. right, and that's probably why but, he's been a minus player this year a little bit. He hasn't been as great in his defensive zone. And I was critical early of Bilesma for not getting him out in critical defensive situations, even if it meant failure, because I—I I mean, mm-hmm. in, my, in my mind, I mean, you're not a playoff team, so. I mean, this is our guy, so let's let him fail this year if he needs to. But Bilesma has been better better about that recently, you know, because they play a one-goal game, it seems like, every night. They don't win a lot of them, but it seems like they're in a one-goal game every night, so I want him out there, whether it's defending the lead or trying to tie a game, whatever. I mean, going into this year, to me, all I cared about was our two second overall picks and letting them play as much as possible. That's one thing I've been excited about too. It seems like he's really clicked with Reinhardt a bit. They seem to be really good friends off the yeah, ice and
1: I think I think I think next year we'll really start to see more of that. You know, another year you need that first year to really get to know each other. It's very rare that things develop so fast like that between new players. As. I'm really really interested to see what a summer of Jack Eichel, now that he's learned the league a little bit since one year now that he knows what he's gonna have to do more. Just to see what he does, he comes into camp next summer with his work ethic, his reputation for working out and getting what he needs done physically, and and everything else about his game. What he's going to look like next next fall, I think that'll uh, be a very fun story to find out. Because you know he's going to feed that gym, doing whatever it takes um, this summer. So yeah, I, I, just to finish on Michael, I mean I thought he he's a he's a you know confident kid. I was going to say cocky, but, uh, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. I like that. Um, he, uh, you know, he's a little, he, I don't think he's, the reputation with Michael, too, among media is, is that he's not a great quote, necessarily, that'll give you the time, but he's, you know, he's got all the cliches down in a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Um,
2: no surprise.
3: And, you know, that's, that's
1: just, that's nothing to really get out of him about. So he's a kid, 19, you know, we don't need to be. We don't need head shit, you know, him to be Shakespeare or the locker. or anything. Yeah, I found him to be very nice and cooperative guy in a, in a sense. And he didn't give me the kind of deep, you know, answers I was hoping for, but you know, he, he never once turned me away for any question. And uh, I wish the you know the kid all the best. I'm sure he doesn't. He's not going to need good luck from me to to achieve it. Uh, but uh, you know, I really I'm glad that I did the story on him, and I'm I really you know have a lot more. A lot more interested in him, though. You know, that's always the truth. Truth the reporters, you, you sort of get more interested in a player when you do a story on him. So, I will cool. will be one of those
2: guys for me, now. Yeah, and you know, not being a great quote, they just—they all stink almost. I mean, you got a few guys here and there, but Ad, my own brother.
3: Yeah,
1: I my- get the sense that he, he could be a very good quote, if the Cameras, or you know, the cameras are probably right. going to have to be awful. I, I noticed him chirping a couple teammates at times.
2: They're, and, so, uh, they're so I like that. I, they're so polished. I mean they, they learn at the USHL level too, and through college. I don't, my own brother, I, don't. I remember when they were when Yale was on their national championship run, and uh, I talked to my brother after the games, and uh, you know, he just played the game of his life against North Dakota to win the region. He had two assists in the third period, um, tying goal and the third goal, and with two minutes left. One of the best games I ever seen him play. And I'm talking to him after the game and I'm just like, tell me about the the second goal when you you're out, you know, I'm trying to get to see what he saw on the ice and it's just like, Well, you know, this other guy made this play, it was really good. And it's just like, dude, you're talking to me now, like, you know. Like you can you can just talk to me about it. Like we were in the car when you were in mites, you know, like but so they they just learn they're just that way like it's a ho- it's a hockey player thing I think and all athletes no can be like no
1: hockey man it's all yeah. about team no star yeah in individuality, no individuality no attention on yourself I mean that's, that's always been a something I've written about frequently over the years you know hockey players are still usually the nicest guys but nights can be boring too yeah you know? and uh, you know they they tend to give the same monochrome and monotone answers yeah. Uh, um, there's fewer and fewer of those character quotes anymore. Um, the the Brett Halls and the um, you know, Bernie Nichols. Ronick Roenick. Yeah. And guys like to just say anything because mm-hmm. they knew that it was fun. You know, we're here for fun too. we we'll sell papers and you know, and papers, what's that now, right? But right. Claude Lemieux was a great thing. He, he knew every angle what you were looking for and he'd give it to you. You know, and uh, now it's, you know, it's it's these team PR people that come in and tell these guys, look, anything you can say could hurt our brand. So you don't say anything, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and don't be caught saying anything on social media or, anything, you know, and, and, um, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, byproduct of that is just, just a lifetime of smoothing quotes from players. And okay. that's, that's, but that's, that's the way, you know, you can't necessarily blame them because, because what do we do? Is the media, when they do say something, pop off or something? Then we all The media criticize them for that, so no, they can't win. You know, then such a double standard by the media
2: now. You know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh about you that said
1: something. You said something rude about something. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible on you. Yep. Your character. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How yeah. dare you? We want you know, him, We want to be open. It. Want them to be open, but when then we are, they are we hammer them on it for being open. Yeah. Of course. Yeah.
1: That's a double standard of the media. Mm-hmm. Especially columnists, you know, the high horse columnists that I can't stand anymore. The jump on every little thing and it goes wrong in a person's life. You know, I just
2: mm-hmm. can't stand that. Well, AD, you've, as, as Howard Stern often <laughs> says, you've said everything you maybe said too much. Uh, Adrian is at ADATER on Twitter. Uh, we talked about a really great article he wrote for Bleacher Report on Jack Eichel. Uh, I linked to it on Twitter I also posted in the Sabers Reddit about it, and I was nervous for AD. I, I was nervous though because you know how Reddit is; it's it's they're they're not nice, you know. But um, yeah, no, they're not. They were nice to you. They, you want to hear some of these comments? Yeah, you want to hear some of these comments? Yeah, sure. Okay, so we yeah. got. Um, let's see. Oh, this guy says, "Don't let any Wings fans read this; they'll throw a fucking fit." And he quoted um, <laughs> he quoted the uh, part in there where the. US the the national team coach talking about how Ike helped Larkin. Um, uh-huh. Let's see. I'm sure someone could write a similar article about McDavid, but goddamn, do I think we got the right guy for Buffalo with Ike? Um, we got okay. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it's right. That's me because I screwed up posting it a few times. One guy says we've come a long way since Derek Roy. This guy. This guy. Well, there's some good and some bad here. It says. Data is a piece yeah. of shit, but this is a great article. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, yeah that's it, that's nice for Reddit. I mean, that's nice for Reddit, you know.
1: That, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. after the year, I can, I can take that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's listen. It, anytime, <laughs> anytime, I can. As I say, just uh, don't. You can be loved, be hated. Don't be boring. I've always tried not to be boring. and I guess I've succeeded too well at times in that. Um,
2: and speaking of so, not no, boring,
1: I appreciate that comment. Hey, as long as you're reading that, I, <laughs> I've definitely been called myself that plenty of times too. So uh, hats off to the to the. I won't say the word, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I'll, I'm, I'm grateful for that.
2: Adrian, Adrian also wrote one of the better hockey books I've ever read, Blood Feud, Detroit Red Wings versus Colorado Avalanche, the inside story of the pro sports nastiest hey, and the best got, rivalry of its we era. we the
1: reunion game coming. I want to sell some books for that reunion game. Bro. Yeah. So, uh, yeah G- maybe I can come on and talk some old labs wing stories with you. Absolutely. I I got, yeah. Most of them haven't, a lot of them still haven't read the book. I do have a a book coming out on my twenty years covering the house coming out soon. Kind of a memoir
2: type of book. Okay, uh, let's end on this. Uh, yeah. Give me a jury story. It, it'll be
1: out Oh, a jury story? Yeah, let's not well, on that. Pretty boring.
2: Yeah, um, I know. He's another polished he, uh, guy, right? He he
1: he's he's um he's definitely a kid who I like I love being around and stuff, but uh um he and I used to just go back and forth about Red Sox and Yankee. That was one thing. He one, <laughs> right? was a Yankee fan. I was a Red Sox fan, and uh, yeah, yeah was... I was always jealous that he got to Fenway Park, and he actually got to hit a ball into the screen once. But, um, Dan Duquette gave him the license to go on the field one day and hit some hit some batting practice. He put one in the net, so definitely jealous of that. Uh, he, uh, he's a great clutch player. I mean, one of stupid trade by the Avalanche
2: <laughs> to get rid of him. Yeah, stupid trade by Calgary, even worse.
1: Trade in team history. All he did here was score clutch goals and win games and win a Stanley Cup in the next series in Calgary.
2: Yeah, and they but made it even worse He was trade.
1: definitely devastated by that. He hated Calgary. Mm-hmm. He didn't hate to see the city of the people, but he definitely hated going there and playing there. And, uh, I think he loved Buffalo, but... Uh, The player I'll always remember is just one of them. Anytime the game was close, man, I used used to always remember thinking, just keep your eye on Drury because something's coming. And it always happened just about. Always. He's a great, great clutch player. Great, great clutch player.
2: I was. uh, I remember that
1: Buffalo playoff game. Was it a playoff game with Buffalo where he tied it with like a half second left? And I remember we were all sitting in the press box watching the game. We're like, Drury's going to score. And he did.
2: Yep, here. I I think
1: it was against Philly.
2: No, it was against yeah. New York. You want to hear it, or you want to hear? We'll. Oh, New York, that's
1: right. Yeah, Rocky, I, what a, I remember what a moment that was! I was like, wow. Well, we I I yeah,
2: I was actually.
3: Yeah, I
2: did. <laughs> did you read the piece that S. L. Price wrote about him that year in Sports Illustrated? It's kind of I a. Think so yeah. Yeah, it was great, piece. I was actually in the I was in the building the night the night that um in Pittsburgh. Uh, S.L. Price was there that night To write that story And it was actually the same yeah. It was the same night That Mario was on the ice To announce that they had an, a deal For the new arena oh. um, And Drury tied that game In the last minute as well yeah. And um, it was sick here's the, here's the goal you were talking about
0: called, Okay sends it down. Control is earned By Buffalo Drury to the front
3: Stop,
1: scramble,
2: sc- <laughs> that was lame. No, that's not Jenneret. I gotta find you the Generat one.
1: Oh, the Jenneret one. Yeah, that's. that's Man, I love Rick Jenneret. Uh, yeah, this Paul. is the Generat one, I think.
2: The Here's the Generat yeah. one.
1: I mean, you think the guy's gonna just blow out a lung at any time, but he just always gets it done, right? He's, yeah.
2: He's gonna do another year, too. This is supposed to be his last year, but. Is he? Yeah, wow. he, he he said, "Damn it, this is this is not him either." What is wrong with YouTube? Anytime we do, anytime we do this on the show, anytime I'm like, "Oh, let me pull up, let me pull up a sweet video on YouTube." It's like oh for five in what I want to play every time makes me look like an idiot. You don't even, you don't even want to hear this that badly, and I'm like, "No, we will find this."
1: I don't mind. I'd love hearing that little call to Jen Ratz. I mean, God, I can't believe the guy was calling. When, when he, he didn't start till the early 80s, though, right? Or, or am I wrong? He didn't do the 70s Sabres, right?
2: Yeah, we when had Ted he? Darling. Ted, Well, I think Ted Darling. That's right, Ted Darling. Yeah, I think he was around, though, I think, a little bit. Um,
1: i got a good story, by the way, about the, the Buffalo Sabres um Last Daily Cup appear or first one actually.
2: Okay, uh, the one and in, in, yeah, and in against Philly.
1: Five, against Philly, right? Okay, yeah. Um, my father, my father Alan, uh, was a film cameraman back then. Um, he worked for NHL Films for a contract. Wow! And he covered that. He filmed that series. Um,
2: With the back fact, game, you
1: can still see. The, sometimes the NHL network still shows the one-hour highlight show from that show, or the half-hour maybe
2: all the fog and,
1: uh, yeah you see my you see my dad yeah, in the fog and everything you see my dad's name in the credits and uh, um, my dad went out on the ice after the game after the final game the final puck the game was over flyers win and uh, he scooped up the puck from that fourth game and uh,
2: Very cool.
1: Um, gave, it, gave it to me so I have the flyers last puck but they won the Stanley cup
2: wow that's crazy um, isn't that crazy? Yeah, but it was people like yeah. your dad who cost us in '99 rushing onto the ice. We could have got a review. No, it's no, all no, the damn no. media didn't rush the ice on us. Oh
1: man, I was there for that game too. Ugh, what a, what a night! I'm that was a forget, tough
2: one. As I'm bad never as
1: forget, it's like you know we all reporters. First of all, the series is brutally bad, right? I mean, it was yeah, a well, awful, series awful, to watch. yeah, agree.
2: It's awful, awful, so, uh
1: huh. I mean, every. Yeah, it's true. Buffalo got screwed on that though. And yeah. They should have had a review and it should have kept playing, but everybody it was so late that everybody just wanted to get the hell out of there. And it's it's too bad.
2: And you know but, you know Hashik is winning that playing. game seven. You know Hashik is winning that game seven. But I don't know. No, oh, no, you know, that
1: Dallas team was tough in game seven. They beat two Colorado teams, Patrick Walk teams with game seven, too. They were pretty damn tough in
3: game seven.
1: Yeah, they were so a great know,
2: just, they're a great great team, obviously, but the hardest one for me the hardest one for me is still knowing that, you know, if if Jamie Key doesn't wake up with a staph infection when the bus is getting ready to leave for game seven in Carolina, we'd have a banner. I mean Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rory Fitz. We have Rory Fitzpatrick out there. The puck is in his feet. He can't, somehow, he can't find it. And, Uh I mean, all that. Just, all right, one last try. Your day will come, man. Your day
3: will come.
1: Okay, I I got it. Yep,
2: I got it. Here it is. I don't know what that annoying... They're trying to make it like what, a commercial, I guess, but... Yeah, he mm. he's yeah, that's sort of like a sound
1: check at a kiss show or yeah, something.
2: Yeah, that's other. brutal. Like, Alright, we're, we're, uh, this is the time where you eject, I think, when you're playing bad YouTube videos and crying about Sabres defeats. <laughs> I think that's when it's time to end the interview, I think. I had fun, though. It was yeah, fun we'll just, one of these days, but, Yeah, uh, I did. had fun just shooting the shit with I
1: did. Thanks for
2: having me, uh... Anything you want to plug? The,
1: you got a great podcast. Thank you. got you. a great podcast that are insiders to to, but also uh, real fans, I'm sure. Thank you. A lot of... Maybe how kind of many insider media people I talk to today that listen to your podcast, by the way.
2: That's awesome. Thank you. Anyone... Anything you want to plug? I, I said a data on Twitter. Bleacher Report articles. Obviously, uh, plug through for you, the book. I
1: appreciate that. Bleacher Report is where I am, and I uh, enjoy that a lot, uh, you know, um... Uh, I have a book coming out on my 20 years covering the ads uh, somewhere sometime this year. It's all done. Um, kind of a formula book about 100 different stories and memories and stuff. But it's it's kind of, I did it different. I mean, it, I wrote it in first-person style. So it's, I think it'll be good for, for definitely the for a rap anyway. Like, um you know, it's kind of a, try to put a different title on it and be like, you know, Sabers' memoir, of covering the Avalanche or
2: something. So awesome! Can't wait. We'll uh, definitely go an hour on that. Yeah, too. Well, all right, man. Um,
1: yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah, uh, so much, and uh, let's uh, hope to chat again soon. And uh, um, God, you know, I guess the Sabers are a little probably out of it, but yeah, that's fine. I assume we'll be talking playoff hockey uh, next year in Buffalo. I certainly hope so
2: anyway. Yeah, I mean, Michael and Eichel and Matthews are going to be great together. So. It's all, it's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, man. All right. All right. Real quick book update. I'm still waiting for this damn book. Which one is it now? How long do you have to wait for a book? Eight days should be enough for a publisher in New York to send you a book, book. right? Wertheim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is your brain on sports the science of underdogs, the value of rivalry, and what we can learn from the t shirt canon. By John Wertheim and Sam Summers. Uh, you can read an excerpt of the book in Sports Illustrated this week. And um, John is out there. He's in the quad, Jeff Perlman's Quaz. You go to com slash It's an interview with, uh, with John where he talks about why he doesn't use his first name. Why oh. he goes by his middle name. Okay. And uh, some other interesting things in there. So I'm waiting for this book. How long do I have to wait before I email this lady and say, where the hell are my books? When did it come out? I know you said it's been... Well, it was released this week. Okay. I believe it was like... It came out yesterday. But this Officially. isn't like
0: the Paterno book. It wasn't like held
2: in embargo. No, it was embargo. not in embargo. No. Yeah. So hmm. it's time for them to... It's getting to the point where they're not coming. So I need to call and say... Sure, yeah. Or write and say, hey, you forgot. <laughs> But uh, it is in stores now. You can go out and get it. And, again, there is a article in this week's SI with an excerpt on why quarterbacks are always handsome. Oh. Do you have a most handsome quarterback? Who do you think is the most handsome QB out there uh, now then? That's tough. Does
0: that have to be, like, one that plays? Because the lady is, like, the backup in uh, New England. What's his
2: name? Garoppolo?
0: Oh, Garoppolo? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, girls like him. So. But I don't know if that counts. Nah, he's a
2: handsome lad. Second string guy, though. All right. We will take a break and come back with Stephen Hayden. Wait, you're not going to name one? You're just going to leave me? In there? I don't judge, man. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Our next guest is from Wisconsin and is a graduate of Wisconsin, Eau Claire. He's an American music critic and a host of a new music podcast called Celebration Rock. Uh, his work has appeared in Rolling Stone, Slate, and he was the music critic at Grantland where we first met him. He's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Stephen Hayden. What's going on, Steve? I'm uh,
1: much. Thanks for having me. How you
2: doing? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm enjoying the new podcast so far. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're listening. So I feel like I feel like I'm at this point in my life and it's just it's it's concerning a bit. And this is where I like listening to the podcast. I'm looking forward to the next one with the the top albums of the tens, I guess, is what we're calling. Is, is, that, is that what We're officially calling this decade. I've had no idea what we're calling the last two decades. I guess. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I I think last decade was like the aughts. The aughts, maybe. yeah,
2: yeah. I I, I thought then, that was okay. That 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 seemed like a yeah. fair, fair compromise to go with the aughts. Um. Yeah.
1: This this decade is weird. I don't know if we'll end up calling it the teens at some point or what. Uh. I don't know. I. But yeah, the tens. Seems to work.
2: Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that because here's where I realized I am. I'd always, I'd always kind of criticize my dad because my dad taught me about music. Really, he taught me about, and luckily, he taught me pretty cool music for the most part. And the problem with it, though, was everything he taught me, um, kind of ended at some point for the most part, and then I. Started, I think the first, like, tape I got on my own that wasn't under my dad's influence was the first Skid Row CD. And then, or maybe the Guns N' Roses one was before. It was a tape. Like, Appetite. And then maybe the Skid Row CD. And then, like, my first, like, really, like, band that was, like, my band for sure was, you know, Pearl Jam. I got uh 10. Not right away. I mean... It was whenever they were on um, Headbangers Balls, a little after that. And um, my dad just didn't come on that ride for whatever reason. It's like at some point maybe Steve Perry left Journey or something and he just tapped out of new music. It was like I just couldn't convince him. And I was was even at the Rush show uh, this last year and it was – they went backwards, they started with their last album. It was like a 40-year celebration of their catalog, and they did a really cool thing. I don't know if you heard about this tour, but they started with their last album, Clockwork Angels, and they had this elaborate stage set up. And as each song went on, and they went through their catalog, and went from where we are now to their album that was in the aughts uh, snakes and arrows. And then, you know, they got into the 1990s with counterparts and then they got, you know, as each progression went down, the stage became less complicated, like to represent the era until they were at the first album. And it was like just an amp and a small drum kit and them kind of replicating playing small gyms in Ontario, like they did. And I noticed in the crowd that everyone sat on their elbows, really, until Roll the Bones. And I think they they represented my dad. Like, even for bands they loved, this day happened, this, like, day occurred that anything that happened after that somehow didn't matter. And I've always fought that. And, like, I thought it was so cool when I decided I liked The Killers. I was like, all right, you're still in it. You, You still... You're still finding the new cool bands. And I feel like the last five years, I haven't tapped out of the bands that I love. I mean, the last uh, Soundgarden album that came out a couple years ago, I loved. You know, um, I can't wait for the new Tool album this year that's supposedly going to come out. Uh, Whatever it is, I mean, I'm still there. But I feel like I'm not adding anything new. Like, somehow I've lost touch with whatever it is that might be going on in the rock world out there. And I'm hoping this podcast will help me.
1: Well, I hope so, too. I mean, I think what you're describing, you know, it's obviously a common occurrence. Uh, I mean, I think there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, usually as people get older, their lives get fuller. You know, you get married, you have kids, you have a career. Uh, It's hard to keep up with uh, something that changes as much as music does. Um, It's not like when you're in your teens and your 20s and you have all of this spare time uh, to check out records and uh, go to shows and all that stuff. So I also think, too, that people, uh, you know, when you hit a certain age, the the attraction of bands that you grew up with... uh, in some ways it becomes even stronger than it was when you were younger because it's something that uh, ties you to yourself in a way. Like, you know, like you're a big Pearl Jam fan. I'm sure in a way when you, there's something about Pearl Jam that you um, associate with your own life. You know, that, that music is so embedded in your life that when you listen to that music in a way you are, uh, you know, feeling connected to, uh, to your own roots. And it's hard for new music to compete with that obviously, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of history. Um, of course, you know, the, the counterargument to that is that um, it's really easy to get uh, sort of fossilized, you know, in this, you know, in your own record collection where you just listen to the same records over and over again. Um, at some point, uh, you're going to run out of new things to discover in those records, you know, as great as they might be. Um, you're not going to be pushing forward in any way. And for a lot of people, that doesn't really matter. You know, they're not really interested in that, and I understand that, Um, you know, because, again, people have their lives to live, and uh, finding new bands is not necessarily high on the priority list. But, yeah, hopefully people can listen to my show and they can uh, hear, you know, fun discussions about music Uh, You know, we have a lot of interviews with with musicians that I think are pretty interesting. Um, At the very least, I hope people just listen to it and they find it fun, you know, Uh, even if they're not necessarily buying tons of new records. If they're just entertained by the the conversations that they're hearing, um, you know, I'll consider that uh, to be a success.
2: You know, another problem, I think, is... Every year when the MTV Music Awards happens, I always tweet out not to watch the award show tonight. Instead, watch the one from 1992. Because it's one of the greatest music shows on television ever. I mean, there was YouTube 2 I don't think you
1: mentioned that because in my book, I reference the 92 VMAs like throughout.
2: Oh my that's God, is it incredible?
1: The, that's, that's sort of one of the running threads in my book.
2: I'm not surprised.
1: That is, like, also my personal favorite award show of all time. Like, Oscars, Grammys, Emmys, whatever. Um, The 92 VMAs are really great. Um, Just because, you know, obviously of all the bands that were involved at that time, you had Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Guns and Roses. But then you also had, like, Bobby Brown was on there. Like, Brian Adams was on there. It was sort of an interesting cross-section, like Death Leopard. Did let's get rocked yep. on there you know, it's sort of an interesting cross section of what music, was, uh, what music was like
2: at that time yeah and my point, um, my point of bringing it up was just that That in 1992 when I was 12 or whatever uh, popular music was a cross section it was all these different things um, and I can't speak with 100% certainty of who performed at the last one I have no idea But I know that popular music today is very much more. It's not as multi-genre as it used to be. Um, I feel like well,
1: you know, maybe the thing now is that in like a single artist often encompasses many genres. You know, like they're integrating a lot of different things into what they're doing. You know, if you take a Taylor Swift, for instance. Um, you know, there's elements of, like, rock, country, folk, um, like electro-pop, um, you know, R&B. I mean, it's like, kind of all across the board in her music, whereas maybe in, in the 90s it was a little bit more uh, clearly delineated. Like, you had a rock band, you had an R&B singer, you had a rap group. I feel like now maybe the genres are breaking down a little bit more. And it's all kind of one big soup of pop music. Um, And, you know, you can decide for yourself if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I I think one way that it's more, I mean, I think it's clearly more diverse now in terms of, like, there's a lot more women on the show. There's a lot more, like, people of different races on the show um, now. But, yeah, if you're, like, a fan of guitar music, you're not going to watch the VMAs. I mean, there are not... I, I, I made a joke when when Springsteen was on SNL that, you know, he had, like, five guitarists on stage when he was on SNL. And, like, that's probably more guitar players than have been at the VMAs in, like, the last, like, five years combined. <laughs> you know? This is not, you know, so, so if you're into rock and roll, VMAs are not worth that necessarily. But, you know... I don't think necessarily that's like less diverse
2: now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just, I disagree. I mean, I, that, but, you know, and to say like Taylor Swift has an element of rock, I mean, I don't hear it. Um, I mean, I think I've heard all of her hits at least once. They all sound like they're for twelve-year-olds to me. Um, well, the Beatles were for twelve-year-olds, though. Yeah, you know, and
1: that's great it's, for it's them. Good music to dismiss music as being for kids, I mean, that's kind of an old guy position. It might be. Yeah, it might be. Because, like, when you were were a kid, you know, like, a lot of that music was for kids. And, like, you still love it and it's great, you know? So, and, it's rock and roll in the sense that, like, whether you like it or not, I mean, that's that's an issue aside, but, like, she does come from, like, a guitar-based drums tradition. Like, her early record's the country records, they're not that much different than like what would have been like singer songwriter records in the seventies. You know, like records like, you know, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, stuff like that. I mean that's a, that's what she comes from. And that's a branch of rock and roll. It might not be like hard rock, it might not be what you like, but that doesn't mean it's not part of that. Yeah, you know? I mean,
2: there could be some influence there, but it's so it's such a popular version of that that to me it Right to me that it just doesn't... It's not going to reach me, and that's okay. I mean, I don't think she's trying to. You know what I mean? But you,
1: know, but you understand that, like, when you were a kid, people dismissed the 92 VMAs, on the, in, in, like, in the same way. Like, there were there were lots of people
3: who said,
1: this is, like, a fake version of punk rock, you know? That this is music for, like, mainstream people. This is poppy, you know, and...
2: Well, yeah, my so, dad like, was that way. I mean, my dad said, you know... That Pearl Jam, that's you know, that's not, that's not okay. They're friends with Neil Young, great, but they're not Neil Young. You got to listen to Neil Young. That's the real thing. Like I get that, but nobody, right. but nobody now is gonna say, oh Taylor Swift, like that is Pearl Jam. You, like you should listen well, to Pearl Jam. You don't know
1: that though. You don't know. See, well, you. I think you. What you have to realize is that you are not a part of that audience anymore.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I realize that. that it's not sure. for you,
1: and you don't under, And you're not going to understand it, just like your dad didn't understand what you like. But you don't know like how she's going to be remembered in 20 years. She may be like that, you know. Y- you can't predict that because you're, what you're doing is you are as a 35 year old or however you old yep, you are. You you're you're saying to like people 20 years younger, your music's not going to last. Well, I mean, that's what they said. That's what people said to you when you were that age, and. That music did survive because the music that people like when they're at a formative time in their life, they don't abandon that. That, that music becomes ingrained in their life. So as you as an older person, you just have to accept that like, you have, you're outside of it and you're not going to understand it. And that's fine. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, I don't think, but I think you just have to be self-aware enough to understand that, like, it's kind of the circle of life here. You know, right. it's inevitable that you reach a point that there's things that you are not going to understand because you are not a part of that youth culture anymore. And like, I know for me, it, it, I think everyone goes through this transition where you realize that um, that you're not young anymore. It's kind of like the it's kind of a weird thing to accept. Like the analogy I would make is, I don't know if you have this, if you have this um, thing, but like, like when I would uh, watch sports, you know, you know, well, you know, I started watching sports when I was a kid, and I look at these athletes, and like, you know, they always seem so much older than me, right? And uh, and all this, and like I realized, like as I was getting into my twenties and thirties, that I would still look at athletes as being older than me. You know, like, I always thought, but then, but I would, it's like, that would just be sort of my kind of knee-jerk thing, but then, you know, actually, I'd be like, well, no, this guy's like 22 years old, you know, but I was just so used to watching sports in a certain way that it took me a while to make that sort of mental switch in my head, and I think it's something similar with music, where, like, you come up and you listen to music. And you just assume that, like, whatever comes out is for you, you know, because that's what it is when you're young. But over time, you start to realize, like, oh, wait a second. Like, because there's always this period where you're like, man, this shit, I don't really like it. I don't like like this stuff anymore. Like, why, this stuff must be bad. And then over time, you start to realize, like, oh, wait a second. Like, it's because I'm maybe not young anymore. And that's why, like, like, this culture seems kind of stupid to me now because i'm older and i'm in a different place than
2: i used to be um let me respond to I that mean, a little bit uh but, but what i said just let me respond to that a little bit you said a lot there one thing is i didn't say um you said i said something about taylor swift i definitely didn't say i think you said i said that it wasn't gonna last i, I didn't say that it might last i i, I you know i might be great I, I mean i have no idea i i would have maybe given a similar criticism to Chris Cross when i was 12 but i guess they didn't last so maybe that's a bad example but if they did i just when i was 12 that wasn't for me in the same way that this isn't for me now um what i think i've really lost the most is that what i hoped when i was fighting with my dad is that when we when i advanced to his position that I would be able to embrace the music like mine that was just occurring in a later generation. Cause I always thought yeah. that the music that I was listening to was like the music that my, that my dad listened to, you know, like if you looked at the stages, they looked the same. If I went to a concert with my dad on, you know, on Tuesday and one mm-hmm. without him on Wednesday, they looked the same and they sounded the same to me, except the performers were younger. So I had hoped that someday I would be able to bridge that gap like he couldn't. The reason I brought up pop music is is because in the 90s, I felt like there were more genres featured on MTV or uh, across the radio. I think now, especially with rock music, if that's what you're a fan of, uh, as I am, you have to work harder to find – the bands now and I think that's more of a reflection of what has happened to music the way that we don't buy albums you know you don't go into a record store and just browse around anymore that often because they don't really exist you know you have to well, you have to make a more concerted effort to find them and I, that's where I'm bad that's where I'm not doing a good job I'm not finding like my well, brother Go ahead.
1: It's, it's harder if you're looking in the places that you used to look. If, you're, if you honestly expect to turn on the VMAs and see, like, a rock band, I'm sorry, but, like, that's not going to happen. Like, those days are over. Right. And even radio, you're not going to hear, like, a lot of new rock bands. It's just the way it is. Like, but it is easier in the sense that, like, I mean, music is everywhere now. Like, when I was growing up, it, if, let's say you heard about a band, you still had to find their record. I mean, sometimes you couldn't even find the record. If you, if you live in a smaller town, um, you know, the record store might not have it. You know, you might have to ask them to order it specially, you know, at least now you can go on the internet and there's like, you know, umpteen places online that will tell you about new rock bands every day. Like there's a new band every day if you want to hear it. I mean, the, the I mean, I guess in a way it's harder because there's just so much, maybe, and you're just being deluged with stuff, um, you know. Whereas maybe in the past, you know, if uh, you know, if, like if you want to hear about Pearl Jam, well, the video for Even Flow was on MTV like 300 times a day, so like that was going to be bashed over your head. You know, it was unmissable. But I mean, I, I do think that. Um, there are lots of bands now that are part of that rock continuum that like, if you liked bands in the nineties, you know, you will, there's plenty of stuff that you can find now. Like, I just did an interview with this band bully.
2: Yeah. I listened that, to it. I listened to that last a bit. year. They're mm-hmm. very
1: nineties, you know, mm-hmm. if you like nineties rock, you would like that band. Um, and you know, and there's, there's tons of bands like that. So, um, you know, I think again, it might take a little work to get pushed in the right direction, but, I mean, there's great music everywhere. And I, I, and if you're willing to wade through it a little bit, you know, I would argue that's actually easier to find now than it was 20 years ago.
2: Okay, well, you know, I made a bad example with Chris Cross. I should have said Mariah Carey. Because when you were talking about how flow is on every other time, you know, well, the video after it was Emotions by Mariah Carey or something. Whereas now, you know, yeah. Taylor Swift is on, and then after Taylor Swift... Well, they don't even play videos at all any, anyway. anyway. Uh, but, you know, maybe a modern version of MTV would be Taylor Swift and then Kanye West or something. And, like, I Yeah, just, I mean, you know. yeah,
1: you're not going to get a station that will play everything right. like that. The crossover but because, is different now. But, but that's also because consumers have decided that they would rather have a million channels with a million different genres right. than one channel... With a you know, with all the genres, yep. you know, so you so you can decide, like, uh, I only like this kind of music, and you know, like you can go on iTunes or whatever, and or Beats Radio, and you can only listen to rock if you want to. and You don't have to listen to other stuff, and um, you know, not, and that's for better or for worse, obviously. Um, but uh, so yeah, the diversity I think is still there. It's just yeah, you're not going to find it at all in all one place. You know. But you can say go to Beats Radio, listen to a pop station for a bit, then go over to a metal station, then go to a hip hop station, you know. It's kind of up to you to program it. Yeah, or Sirius.
2: Respect. I do that with Sirius a little bit. I'll try to flip through the stations on Sirius. Try not to like try to get it off of Howard One Hundred every once in a while and the Pearl Jam station yeah. and try and find uh some different things. My brother turned me on to this band called War on Drugs. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, who had a bunch of them. who I'd never heard of, and um, he went and seen them at Radio Music Hall and really liked it and was raving about it, and played me some songs, and you know, I enjoyed it, I thought it gave me a little bit of uh I was like oh this is you know cool, so hopefully he's eleven years younger than me, so I'm kind of counting on him, hopefully to uh keep me fresh a little bit, but um yeah, hey, it, and, are great, yeah, no, I did enjoy it uh it was it wasn't bad, and uh, um. You know, the point, this all kind of stemmed from just kind of liking the podcast um, because uh, you mentioned the band from Nashville that you had interviewed in the last show. And I did, after listening to that, you know, go to Apple Music or wherever I found. I forget where they were. I think I looked somewhere. They weren't there. I looked somewhere else. They were there. I can't remember which was which. But um, I I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed some of that as well. Um, And I think in the end, it was sort of a compliment like, or, or a comment on how, well, this is interesting. Now we're going to podcasts to learn about new bands. I, I just kind of find that an interesting evolution.
1: Yeah, I mean that's definitely one of the places. I feel like, are you on Twitter at all? Like social media. I mean, I feel like that is a really easy way to hear that stuff. Yeah, the problem it's, with, like, tw- the, pro-
2: problem with Twitter, yeah, the problem with my Twitter. Yeah, the problem my Twitter. It's all sports journalists. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: it's not like not just tons of music people on there.
2: Yeah, I don't follow the right the right music people for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, you gotta follow the right people, man. There's tons of music people on there. I mean, music is one of the most tweeted about topics. I, mean, I follow ever. Eddie Trunk.
2: I follow Eddie Trunk. So he's not gonna find me anything new, but I follow him. I like Eddie Trunk. I'm gonna miss that metal show. That metal show is a yeah. Great I
1: mean, Eddie Trunk is talking about '80s metal people. So, yeah, well, he talks about like, more not than that. But, yeah, not, he's, not much he's much. got about like, the new Megadeth record. But yeah. like, that's about as new as he it's very good.
2: By the way, the new Megadeth record is very good. Uh, yeah. the, the new Dream Theater record was a disappointment. I thought it's like seventy five songs and about like the ninth one I had a tap out. But but yeah, I mean, I think I think the point is though is that this stuff like it is there. Like it is
1: not hard to find. Like if if, if you just put in like like if if you're interested in it. And you want to like, just put a little bit of effort into it. It's not
2: that hard to find, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, but I, I guess your original point about why people fall into the rut that I do is about how people's lives expand. You know, and right. how there's all these different things, and music gets knocked out. Music hasn't gotten knocked out of mine. I actually recently set up a room in my basement where, you know, I got a new record player for Christmas. I have set up a nice little station and my music is all there and I can listen to all the formats from, you know, vinyl to hooking my iPhone up and listening to Apple Music. So what's kind of been lost is the discovery part of it. You know, that that's where I've not bridged the gap very well. I, and it's on me. You know, it's on me. I haven't put the work in uh, to find the other things because you know, I go down there on a Tuesday night and instead of doing a deep dive into different things and trying to find new things, I decided, you know what, I haven't listened to the Undertow record in a while, so let's do some Tool tonight, you know. So it's lazy, right. you know. it's la- But it's easy, especially when you have 900 or 1,000 CDs you like. Yeah. You know, it's, and, it's, and
1: again, I, and that's totally understandable. I think if people get to a certain age and they, they don't feel like they have the time to... To you know, just listen to a ton of new music or or they don't really care, you know, of course, like, enjoy yourself. You should listen to what you like. I guess all I would say is that, like, if you feel like, oh, I want to discover things, but I, you know, you can't do it anymore, you know, I'd say, no, you can. I mean, you know, the the means are there if you want to use it, you know, so. so
2: No, I I think you're mostly right. For
1: people to do that.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're mostly right about that. I think... You know, I, you talked about being self-aware. I think this whole time, I, I've kind of said it's on me for the most part, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: but, like, the VMAs, like, who cares about the VMAs now? You yeah, know? no, like, I was just using it, that it as an matter. example. You know, like, mm-hmm. why, even, why even, like, tweet about that? You know what I mean? Like, who cares? I mean, it's, like, so beyond, like, as a, you know, as a guy in your, th- like, mid-30s or something, like, it doesn't matter, you know, like, I mean, that's stuff for for kids now, you know, so... To expect that to be different, I think, or, or to expect it to be like it was in the mid-90s. I mean, you know, the VMA, is, it reflects the culture, you know, and, like, it was reflecting the culture in the early 90s, and, like, it's reflecting the culture now, so I guess that's probably the one constant with it, um, but, you know, it's not, it, I mean, I, I, I'll watch the VMA sometimes because I, I have to write about it, but, you know, as far as, like, a lot of the music that's on there, I don't really care about that music. But I know it's also not for me, so, you know, I'd rather just focus on stuff that I think is cool and that people might enjoy, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there that's not getting as much attention uh, as it it should be, you know? So, uh, you know, I think it's more worthwhile to pursue that stuff and support, you know, these young bands that are trying to make great records. And, you know, like, if you love rock music and you want to see the torch carried forward, you know, it's important to support these, these, these bands, you know, because they don't have necessarily the kind of support networks that bands like this used to have, you know, even though they're making great records. Um, you know, they don't get the kind of media attention that they used to. Um, you know, obviously the record industry isn't, at, isn't where it's at, isn't where it was at, you know, in its prime, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to... Invest in these bands. I think they're they're worth investing in. I think there's a lot of great stuff happening right now.
2: Yeah, I'm this old guy on the porch that is like, <laughs> I just want them to bring it to me on the porch and let me put it in. You know, I don't like pro- one all of right. the best ways maybe you know to do this. Well, your you're brother, brother, you're I, brother told you about the war on drugs. Yeah, That's it was awesome. great. I he want him to do all the work. Band. Yep, he needs to keep stepping it up because I, I enjoyed that. I got that record saved on my Apple Music and I've listened to it a few times. I've enjoyed it. So yeah, part of it is on that's him. Awesome. He needs to keep doing that. He's young Yeah, yeah. He's young. Have him
1: be your talent scout. He should be yeah. your talent scout and
2: exactly bring fans to you. Yeah, and uh, you know that's a that's a bummer. I mean uh you know, I don't have a kid really, so that, if I had one I could uh maybe hopefully they'd be old enough to help me too maybe some people count on that <laughs> we're talking to Stephen Hyden uh, we met him when he was the critic at Grantland and he's got a book coming out soon a podcast I'm really enjoying called Celebration Rock you can find that on iTunes of course and uh, Stitcher uh, probably most places you find podcasts you find him on Twitter he's at Stephen underscore Hyden really enjoying that uh, you looking forward to starting the book thing there, uh, Yeah. yeah I mean the and,
1: best part of writing a book is talking about your book, you know, yeah. it's like you know. When I was writing it, I was thinking, "Oh man, this is a lot of work." But at some point, this book will be done, and then I can just talk about it, and that'll be fun. So I'm at that point now, uh, which is fun. So you know, people are starting to read it, and they seem to like it, and uh, it's exciting. So hopefully, um, you know, I can get it out there, and, and people will enjoy it.
2: Are you interested? in the Guns N' Roses stuff happening. Is that a take it or leave it for you?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm definitely interested. I'm not optimistic that it's going to be any good, but
2: i okay, Why? probably
1: spend weight. Like, uh, what?
2: Why? I'm just curious why. Um, you know, why don't you think that?
1: Well, Axel, Axel is not, I mean...
2: His voice I mean, is Have aged.
1: you seen Axel Rose lately? I mean, he, his voice seems pretty shot, and he's not in great shape.
2: I, I'm, um, I'm guessing he's gonna yeah. be in great shape. I can't imagine he's gonna come out there in bad shape, but we'll see about that. I guess. Okay, you know well, I don't think he's gonna come out. No, you fat. have more faith
1: than I do, but yeah, um, I mean he's been chewing for a while now. With, so you think he's gonna hit the stairmaster and like will, he's gonna like end up putting on the bicycle shorts again? Yeah, like, I mean it's he, a like lot. Easier.
2: It's yeah. a lot easier. Like they were here a few years ago, uh, in Buffalo, and they played like outside. There's maybe like twelve or thirteen thousand people there. And if you're Axl mm-hmm. Rose, and the time you were in Buffalo before that was on that huge stadium tour with Metallica, that it can be easy to be lazy that night. You know, if you're gonna be in front of all these people at Coachella, or in front of sold-out crowds at a brand new arena in Vegas, or if they go on to do stadiums, as rumored, that's harder to be lazy for. Um, and I think that he's. Well, I don't know
1: if it's a matter of being lazy, as it is. You know, he's older now. You yeah. know, and like.
2: I didn't think his Um, voice was that bad years ago, I
1: mean, I don't think he's lazy, necessarily. I just don't know if you're, like, as good as you were. You know, and and there's so much about Guns N' Roses that was about sort of, like, the energy and danger of being, like, a young hotshot rock band, you know? And I don't know how well that's going to translate when you see these guys in their 50s. I mean, I think some bands age better than others, and I don't know how well... I'm skeptical about how well they will age... And Axel Rose certainly has not aged all that well up until now. So to expect that he's going to like make this sudden transformation into like you know being totally on the ball, I don't know. You have more faith than I do, but like as I was going to say, I'll probably end up spending way too much money to (laughs) see them
2: to see one, yeah. And
1: in the hopes that I'm wrong, but I'm not feeling hugely confident that it's going to be great.
2: Yeah, I think that... But, you know, it's weird,
1: because like, I remember like when they were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and, like, it was GNR with Miles Kennedy, and as much as it pains me to say this, I was like, I kind of would rather see this tour, because, like, Miles Kennedy sounded really great, and the rest of the band sounded really great. I I mean, look, Axl Rose is probably my favorite rock star of all time. So... You know, I definitely want to see him, but I just don't have a lot of faith that it's going to be great.
3: Hmm.
1: You know, he's going to look good. Uh, you know, I, And I don't know, like, I see where you're coming from with that, but, like, you're making a pretty big leap of faith, I think, with assuming that he's just going to be on the ball, you know, when there's not a lot of precedence for that, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, when they were on the VMAs in 2002, that was a pretty big stage to be on, and they
2: were terrible. Right. Like, Axel looked terrible. All right So. He's, he's been much better than that. And now, and now that he's recently. like
1: 13 years old, or he's like almost 15 years older than that now. Right. So, I don't
2: know. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I think like maybe what was appealing about the Rolling Stones initially was that they were a young, fiery rock band and they, you know, seemed to still be able to tap into some of those qualities in, in their 70s. And I think that. Yeah, but, but Jagger stayed in shape. Jager always
1: looked good. I mean, he did not fall off like Axel
2: did. I bet you Axel's going to come out in shape. I will be shocked if he's not in shape. But even his voice—like, have you heard his voice lately? Yeah, his I heard it a couple was... years ago. It was a lot better than it was in 2002. He was definitely—I know—but
1: for like recent bootlegs, he did not sound very good.
2: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's a hard style to age. It's, it's, he certainly sings a exactly lot, a lot more point. difficult. Yeah, that's, that's that's a fair point, but.
1: I mean, I think you know. I could see them pulling it together for Coachella and being great there, but to hold it together for a whole tour, ah, uh, I would not put money on it. I'll just put it that way.
2: You mentioned there not being <laughs> not being much precedent. I'm a big Rush fan, and another guy who's you'd think it'd be really hard to age that voice. Geddy Lee's voice was better this year than it was the last yeah, but Getty five Lee's tours. Himself. yeah, he tried, he tried harder. He tried harder. Rush has toured
1: as a band, as a unit, for like decades. Like they are a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this band is not toured together, like Rush has. You know, I don't think that's a comparison. This is like Slash, Duff, and Axel getting back together for the first time, and like, what since the Usual Illusion tour?
2: Yeah, yep. I mean, why
1: would you expect them to be like Rush at this point? Oh no,
2: I don't expect them to be like Rush. I was just comparing voices. It's just saying that I think Axel can improve his voice. It's not Axel just, but it's, it's not just the vocal style. It's the mileage that Axel has put on
1: himself. And the fact that like, he just... I mean, do you think he looks good
2: lately? He looked a lot better what? when I saw him last time than he did in 2002, <laughs> for comparison.
1: You're a true believer, man. I like your faith. Okay, I. I hope you're right. I'll just say that. I hope you're right, but... I'm I would bet on it.
2: I mean, I wouldn't go to the first show in Vegas and bet my, bet my mortgage that they're going to kill it. I'm, there's definitely some skepticism there, but I will say that it doesn't take. I mean, it's not me being hopeful to say that when I saw him in 2002, if that was the year from the VMAs, and then when they were in Buffalo a few years ago, it, it was a completely different guy. I mean, he was 60 pounds lighter, probably. I mean, he he looked, he looked a lot and sounded a lot better than that night that I watched him on MTV. I mean, look,
1: I've never seen Guns N' Roses before. So, like, it's, you know, it's certainly not with Flash and Duff. Right. So I'm going to pay the money. If they're anywhere near me, I'm going to pay the money to go because... Did you like so Chinese They're one of my favorite bands of all time. But, like, to compare them to Rush or to the Rolling Stones, which, I you know...
2: Right. I wasn't trying to compare so the to They Axel
1: as disciplined as Geddy Lee and Vic beggar
2: I doubt it. I don't it. think so. Yeah, I doubt it. No, I doubt so, it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like those are those. They both they strike me as pretty disciplined, serious
1: people that like very you know, serious, are yeah. really dedicated to their mm-hmm. craft.
2: No, you're right. I don't see
1: having that, but you know, and you know, and, and they're going to make money regardless. You know, whether they're bad or great, like people are going to pay to see them. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm very. I'm definitely curious about it, and you know. I want to be proven wrong. You have no idea how much I want them to be great uh, when I see them. But, you know, I'm going to go into the show with low expectations.
2: I think that's a good spot to go into it. You know, <laughs> that, I, don't think, so, I don't think that's a bad... I wish Steven Adler was in the I wish, you know, Steven, well, and Izzy too, but I
1: wish Steven, I don't know how well he drums like, over the course of the whole show, but
2: he's I a great drummer. I haven't given up faith that they'll use Adler a little bit I don't think they're going to commit to him over a tour. Um, You might need to go to, like, this Vegas shows or Coachella to see him. And I do think that Izzy will be around here and there. Izzy's never going to tour because he doesn't want to, but he does want to play now and again, just like he's done with Guns N' Roses, the scab version over the last 12 years. You know, every time they're out, you know, Izzy's around now and again and plays a few shows. I don't think that'll be different this time. So, you know, I I think that... I'd be surprised if all five of them there aren't there in Vegas in some capacity. After that, like let's say there is twenty stadium shows or whatever. I think the buzz around the stadium shows is going to be, "Will you be there the night that Izzy is?" You know, because I think he will play two of them. But maybe that's maybe that's foolish optimism too. But that's just as someone who's followed the band pretty much all the way through. You know, that just kind of seems to be. You know, he hasn't he's had the best relationship with Axel over time. You know, so that's it's yeah. not like. uh, I just uh, think it's impossible to predict with that band. You know. Yeah, they're the most unpredictable band in rock. Maybe. I mean.
1: I mean, I'm I'm still not entirely sure that a tour will even happen. Like,
2: yeah, it might not. It when I see it. It might you know? not be a tour. I,
1: I could I could see them bailing from Coachella at this point. You know, it would not shock <laughs> me if. That would
2: surprise you know. Me. There was
1: news release tomorrow saying, you know. Axel's astrologist told him that you can't perform in the desert in April or something, and then he backs out. You know, that, that, I would not be surprised by that. But again, um, I, I, uh, I hope for the best, and I plan for the worst with Guns N' Roses.
2: You, your book is going... We've battled a bit on here, and I've enjoyed it. Now, your book is going to be... that When you come on for that, all we're going to do is battle, right? Because the book is this versus this, and this versus that, right? It's kind of like a Rivals of, of Rock book. So we're going to be back the I whole mean, time. Um,
1: it is about that. I mean, I, I think when you read the book, like, you know, people are going to, you know, probably when they get the book, they'll probably just, like, read it out of order and, like, read the essays that they like about the band that they really care about and stuff, which is which is great. Like, I, you know, any way people want to read it, I think it is great. But, like, I think if you read the book in order, you'll see that there's an arc there and... There's a larger story I think in because is about why we feel the need to define ourselves against something that we're against. And, and not just in music but in other in all kind of facets of life. And learning to sort of get over that. You know, like I I, I mean I think the book is fun, it has fun with the arguments, but I think it's also about trying to kind of get beyond that kind of stuff and find common ground and, and see how sometimes these things are, are, are silly and that we shouldn't invest too much of ourselves in it.
2: What are some um, of them? I know you told me that there's a Pearl Jam Nirvana chapter. I assume there's probably a Stones and Beatles chapter. What what are some of the other pairings?
1: Um well I wrote about Oasis and Blur. I mean that was like a huge one for me when I was that was like the first kind of big rivalry I cared about
2: when I was a teenager. Wow Blur um, was in a rivalry with Oasis? They're in that league?
1: You're not familiar with Blur and Oasis?
2: I mean, that's
1: a it's, huge I vaguely, I vaguely remember I, I them. Mean, I mean, it's more in England than here. But like, if you were into British bands, like, like I was, like you cared yeah, about, no, them. Like I if wasn't. You were an angle File, no, you know, yeah. Like I love, oh, okay, oh, dude, that was a huge deal, man.
2: I remember, I, I remember them like kind of fighting, but I, I mean, that like one of the
1: biggest rivalries ever.
2: Hmm. Now I'm excited to read about it. I, I just, I can name one Blur song. I think. So, yeah, and man. I could probably name okay. 70 yeah, I oasis book. songs yeah no I'm excited yeah, I, mean,
1: that, I mean yeah that's like
2: one I mean like Noel Gallagher said that
1: he wanted Dave Albert to catch AIDS and die I remember you know?
2: that I do remember that like, stuff yeah. like
1: that I mean, uh-huh. it was
2: it was, a, it was a, you know, I
1: mean a lot of it was hype of course but right. um, it was a huge deal and if you were if you were in England or you were an American that loved British bands, all the Britpop pop bands. That was something you
2: definitely cared about. What else? Um, uh, I wrote about
1: Kanye West and Taylor Swift.
2: Oh, skip. Um, I wrote
1: about... Um, I actually wrote a chapter about celebrity boxing matches, and, that, and in that chapter I talked about Axel Rose and Vince <laughs> Neil almost having a fight.
2: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, which is
1: like one of my favorite things. I mean, Axel Rose is another character that occurs throughout my book just because I love... Anywhere I can insert Axl Rose, I will I will insert him. Um, just, I just think he's the greatest, uh, even though I think he's probably not very good right now. But at <laughs> any rate, he's uh, I wrote about like uh, like the Dixie Chicks and Toby Keith. Peace on them. Uh, smashing Pumpkins and Pavement. I oh, about
2: Pavement one. I hate Smashing Pumpkins. You hate Smashing Pumpkins? I hate that guy. He's the worst. Oh, uh, uh, you, you didn't even like them in the 90s? No. Oh man. I hate his voice. I, I hate okay. I hate them. And he was on Stern uh last year, maybe the year before, recently. Uh and um he's just I he's a if he was your guy, you'd love to back him. But if he's not your guy, I mean he talks shit about everyone and he totally overrates his own music in my opinion. But that I mean that's good if he's your guy. I mean, that's a good trait, but if you're not really a fan of him, he he's, he can easily annoy you.
1: I don't know. I think he's a figure like Axl Rose in that um, I think he's incredibly talented and also a huge megalomaniac, and how it's impossible to feel this one way about him. And that's what makes him really interesting to me, that there's so much great about him, and there's so much that's, that's just insufferable. And if you're a fan of him, you've decided that you're going to just buy the whole package. You know, and the same is true about Axl Rose. There's so much baggage with him that it'd be easy to hate him. But like, if you're a fan, you decided that you're either going to tolerate that baggage or in some way you love that baggage because it makes him kind of more complicated and, uh, more fun to sort of think about and to talk about and stuff. I get that. um, Any seventies rock battles?
2: what's that? Any seventies rock battles?
1: Um, no, I, I I don't. I'm trying to think.
2: Well, Leonard Skinner and Neil Young. I, oh, okay. There's, there's, there's a chapter on that, them. Yeah, that's a good one. They fight openly.
1: I try to keep it fairly diverse. I, I wanted to have stuff kind of from across the spectrum. So there's like rock stuff in there, this pop stuff. I have, like, you know, you have to have a chapter on Tupac and Biggie. That's, like, the biggest rivalry of all time. Um, you know, them and, I mean, The Beatles and Stones, obviously, is, like, the sort of um, archetypical rock rivalry, but, you know, Biggie and Tupac, they both actually died. So, it's hard to top that in terms of just life or death rivalries. Uh, So, I read about that. So, yeah, it's all across the spectrum. And, like, the thing about the chapters, too, like you'll see when you read it, is that it's not usually just about the bands. Like, the point of the book is to look at these rivalries and to talk about, like, what they meant in a larger sense in the culture and, like, what they kind of represent. So all the chapters have, like, digressions into other topics.
2: Very cool. I'm looking forward fits to yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. We'll definitely uh, hopefully talk, you know, run it in a book club here and talk about it with the listeners, see what they think. We'll have you back uh, That'd to, be ta- great. to talk about it. Uh, the podcast is called uh, Celebration Rock. Um, you can get it on iTunes, uh, the podcast app on iPhones. I subscribe there. Um, it's also available on most uh, podcast-catching apps. I Before it was on iTunes, I was listening to it on the Downcast app, if you have that. Oh, cool. Um, you can find it on Stitcher, I'm sure. Uh, are you on Sound, yeah. SoundCloud? Are you there?
1: That's like the one place that I'm not on. Okay, so everywhere uh, but we're SoundCloud. On, we're, we're on Boom. if you have that. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, we should not be hard to find. Like It's all over the place.
2: Yeah, people I think i have gotten to a point where they can pretty easily find podcasts now. Uh, you can yeah. find uh, Stephen Hyden on Twitter. He's at Stephen with a V underscore H-Y-D-E-N. Um and the book is still a couple months away yet, right?
1: Yeah, we're still about. I'm still about three months out. It comes out May seventeenth.
2: 17th. May seventeenth. 17th, so you can pre-order. Your, your favorite you order band is killing me. Yep. you're so fit.
1: sure that you get it the day it comes out. So. Uh, and there's also like a pre-order price. It's like twenty-five percent off the cover price if you order it now.
2: The book is called "Your Favorite Band Is Killing Me: What Pop Music Rivalries Reveal About the Meaning of Life" by Stephen Hyden. It is available. I'm looking at the Amazon page right now. It's available for uh, pre-order there. Uh, the Hatchet Book Group is that your group that are publishing it? Yeah,
1: the, that's like a. It's Little Brown as the publisher. Hatchet, like they own like a bunch
2: of. They own it. Albums. Yeah, uh, you can get it well, on Amazon on paperback for twelve seventy four right now. So like you said, that I right have the one. same
1: publisher as Keith Richards.
2: Oh, very nice. I like Tom Keith.
1: So I like telling people that. And like David Sedaris and, the, and Malcolm Gladwell and stuff too, but Keith Richards and I have the same publisher, so I'm, I'm very proud of that.
2: We read a really cool rock book this summer called Alice Chains, The Untold Story by David DeSola. I kind of heard about this book, and I, I said to myself, oh yeah, their story is sort of untold. And I really enjoyed um, reading it. And uh, yeah, So if you're looking for an Alice and Chains book for some reason, Uh, that's definitely a good one. It's a bummer because like they didn't. This is maybe the last thing I'll ask you because they he didn't get much cooperation from from Allison Chains itself, or from you know, or from Susan Silver or you know anyone like that. And I think those guys maybe ten or fifteen years from now might look at this book and say, "Oh man, that might have been a good place to do it because he wrote a fair book." Did you? They're probably not dying
1: to relive a lot of that stuff.
2: No, it's, it's sad. It's a sad, It's a sad, dark... It's a dark... It's a bummer. I mean... When so I was you know, when
1: he's here now, they're probably like, well, we just want to focus on the present and the future. So I, I imagine talking about Lane Staley is not uh, yeah, the, the most the enjoyable timing. thing for them to do. That'd be my guess, why they didn't want to talk to him. Or maybe they're going to do their own book at some point.
2: Right. Did you have to try for your book... Did you, is this something that you kind of did, did you, did you look for cooperation from bands or artists, did you try to interview, or is it just, you didn't, we weren't really writing that kind of book, or is it more? Yeah, not really, I mean, it's more of an essay book. Yeah, more essay based, yeah.
1: um, Than like a biography or something. Um, I would have loved to talk to like Billy Corgan or something, he's still like one of my like white whales, as far as like. Interview subjects, actual too, um, but no, it was more just about essays in my book.
2: It's funny. I, I <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins tested the old uh, "I wouldn't go see them if they were my backyard" theory for me because I live north of Buffalo in a city. It's I guess it's technically a city called North Tonawanda, and um, Smashing Pumpkins literally played in North Tonawanda, in my backyard. Uh it, it was the first show of a this kind of like mixed acoustic and rock tour they did. It was just last summer, I believe. And uh they were in my backyard, I didn't go. Um but my one friend, uh, who's a big wrestling guy, I'm a wrestling I like wrestling too, but I mean this is a huge wrestling guy, went down there and waited to try to get him to sign a wrestling thing that uh Corrigan had been a part of and, uh yeah, he waited a couple hours after the show, and he came out, and my buddy said it was literally me, him, and the guy that was walking him to the car to drive him, and I asked him to sign the wrestling thing, and he said, no. <laughs> and my buddy said, I'm going to tell Dixie Carter that you're not nice to Marks, and he said I got a chuckle out of him for that, and he kept walking, so... So like, <laughs> might be a You of, don't like you don't like his music
1: either, right? Yeah, and because I don't like and I don't like his, his don't attitude. Like no, that, no, I can deal.
2: My, I can deal with a moody guy. Like, I mean, I love Axel. I love Guns N' Roses. I can deal with moody. It
1: kind of blows my mind that you hate Smashing Pumpkins so much because you seem to like every band around Smashing Pumpkins, like in that sort of era. But you don't like that band. It kind of blows my mind a little bit that you feel the, like so strongly against them.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just – I don't know. I think – you know, obviously they – they, some people have said, oh, you don't like him because he, he doesn't like Pearl Jam or whatever. And it's like, well, Nirvana didn't allegedly, and I don't have a problem. I, I'm a Nirvana fan. Um, I don't think it's that. I mean I think there is – I just – I don't like his voice first of all, and I didn't like their songs and – um. I just I just could never I just never made a connection and then like I said, like you I said it and then you said it better. You know, when you were comparing him to Axl Rose and how they have similar antics, but like Axl Rose was my guy. He I, I was cool with his antics because he was he was my guy. When you when you don't really like something and a guy is acting like Axl Rose, it turns you off even more. Right. It's almost like with the Super Bowl this week, you know, all these people are talking about Cam Newton and his antics and They want to turn it into a race thing, but as someone who's a huge fan of a team in the NFC South that isn't the Panthers, I've never looked at it as a race thing. I've always looked at it as a "this guy's killing me" thing, you know. And and when he's killing me, he's dancing, and it's tough to be being killed and having someone dancing on your grave, you know. That makes it really, really difficult uh, to. It's easy to hate, you know, when you don't like something anyway, and then there's a you know when you don't like the Panthers anyway. And their quarterback, you have him, you have him, you have him, and then he's so good he runs away from you and he beats you and then he dances on top of you. Well, that just adds to the hate, right? So I think maybe that's kind of what it's like with Billy Corgan. I didn't like him as it was very much. And then every time he opened his mouth, I hated him more. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this is fun. I like battling with you a little bit. (laughs) Are we battling? I don't know if we were or not. Maybe not. You know, it's we disagreed on some things, and you're smarter than me, so you, you sound better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you we, argue we a little. We
3: were,
1: we're, were having a friendly. Uh, yeah, no, I had
2: fun. I loved it. I never felt mad at you. Uh, yeah, friendly competitors. Uh,
1: but yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, on thank and, uh,
2: you.
1: Yes, and uh, that'd be great if you did the book club. I'd love to come on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll what do you guys that? think? We'll definitely do that. So, uh, one more time, just let me give everything out. It's at Stephen underscore Hyden, H Y D E N, on Twitter. The book is called "Your Favorite Band Is Killing Me: uh, What Pop Music Rivalries Reveal About the Meaning of Life." You can find it on Amazon for pre-order right now, twelve dollars and seventy four cents. You can also pre-order <laughs> pre-order it on your Kindle, uh, which you know that would be great too. And then on May seventeenth, when it's released, it will just show up on your Kindle. I've done that in the past. It's a great way to. Uh, Pre-order a book. And the podcast that you should subscribe to is called Celebration Rock. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Thank you, pal. Take, Take it easy. All right. I want to thank Stephen Hyden and our other guests today. Of course, as we record, it's still fluid. Not that I didn't want to mention them. You can find this podcast and last last week's podcast with Josh Levine and David Shoemaker on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. Don is at Sports. Email us to sportscasters at gmail.com.
0: All right. For my last thing this week, I'm going to get your take on – have you ever been to Twitch TV? No. No, okay. It is a streaming service. Uh, it was like a spawn from Justin TV, which I think is all but dead now. Okay, that I recall. But uh, Twitch TV is essentially streaming for video games. You can go on there. You can find any video games. They're starting to branch into like creative sections where people will just do artwork or whatever. But it's huge. And I've seen ESPN has done a little bit to get into the world of... Uh, like esports, I guess, for lack
2: of a better term, and I'm wondering. So Twitch TV exists to watch other people stream themselves playing video games. Yes, and okay. you can
0: play. Uh, people stream like Magic the Gathering tournaments too. So they have like top down cameras, so you can see the players play, all sorts of stuff. But uh, it's massive. I was looking for stats before I made this point. I last I found was from 2014, and I imagine it's bigger now. But they said something like at. Peak internet
2: usage, they're like fourth in the world for websites. Let me try to guess what's ahead. Okay, you already mentioned Netflix. Yeah, I I don't have the stats. I oh, don't I've know just, the three that are ahead of I it? I mean, I know it's probably Netflix. Netflix YouTube, and a third one? Yeah,
0: I wouldn't doubt it was porn or something. But yeah. it's it's probably... I know it's Netflix, YouTube, and then Twitch falls somewhere after that. Someone that's more savvy with this would probably be able to find the stats. But uh, this... It's already blown up. Like I feel like there's not a lot of space out there, other than like online for places other than Twitch. You'd be like trying to compete with YouTube at this point, right? But I don't see it anywhere on TV, and I'm wondering how they it, grew it. Just get in, you know. Someone, if I'm if I'm a person that broadcasts anything even close to this type of thing, if I'm on Spike TV or something, they did the video game awards. Try to make some deal with Twitch where you do like a weekly, I don't know, like a weekly show where you take the best clips of the week or something someone's missing out on a lot of money i feel like on regular cable that i maybe that's wrong maybe the thought is that people aren't gonna why watch it on tv when oh, they watch i think it on computer, sometimes
2: things are huge on the internet and they become maybe, niche on tv maybe you know? but i mean get it on
0: espn uh, 2 something play it late at night i mean depending on what they like the twitch guys would ask for monetarily i mean it They're showing reruns of poker tournaments and stuff right now in the middle of the night. I just – I feel like someday you're going to have a TV channel dedicated to eSports and nobody's on it yet. And it – like the writing is on the wall it seems like. Yes, it's definitely an open space. And I mean there's just not that many open spaces out there and this has to be one of them. All
2: right, one last thing for me today. So about a month ago, two months now, Joe Buck was on the show. Yep. And I may have dropped the ball with some of my research. So there's an article yesterday on AlternativeNation.net, okay. which I've read some good articles on before. Yeah, And it's essentially a long interview with Joe Buck about his relationship with Eddie Vedder. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of things that I picked out of here. So basically they met the weekend of the Philly shows that we went to at the Spectrum. Okay. So Buck was in town for the, the World, World Series. series. Phillies, Yankees, and, right? Yep. And Pearl Jam is across the street. Yeah. For... Spectrum. cool shows. it down, yeah. Yep, and then um, I think Ed left Joe some tickets uh, to uh 2010 St. Louis show okay. and dedicated a live to him. And this I thought was kind of a cool quote. Um, the question was, how important is music to you? And Joe talks about how it really helps him concentrate. This is specifically with regards to Pearl Jam. When Backspacer came out, Backspacer came out, It was around the time when I met Eddie. I was doing the World Series in Philadelphia. And I was just going to listen to that album over and over and over, whether it was after a game late at night, in preparation before the game, or even during the game. And he talks about how uh, they have a guy named Joe Carpenter who does audio. He also goes on in this article to talk about how rights fees are handled and how a band sued Fox for using their music over a highlight reel. Wow. So but they have made they have made some deals with some bands now. And I remember a couple World Series ago that Pearl Jam.
0: This is when Pearl Jam only released their album Brick and Mortar at Target, I think.
2: Backspace or was that, that album, was, yeah. Yes,
0: that was I remember hearing some of the play during the World Series.
2: Well no, the the World Series that they did was the one the last one, the Red Sox one.
0: Oh really? It was that okay.
2: Which I think was two thousand and thirteen maybe. Okay. Yeah. So that was the the one where and then they ended it with Yell Led Better over the like final video mm. of the Okay. The retrospective. Uh but yeah, he talks about his relationship with Ed and how they text and how Eddie's text messages are like uh the like songs. They could be you know, they could have music behind <laughs> them, they're so poetic. <laughs> And he also talks – this is a really cool thing – about how – remember he told this story on our show about how during the Saints and Vikings uh, conference championship game, he had Kate Hudson in the booth? Yes. Well, last year, the Packers and Seahawks NFC championship game, Eddie Vedder was the guest in the booth. Come on. And just sat there with them the whole game. <laughs> That's awesome. And that Ed was writing him notes about things he saw during the game really? and stuff. Really? Yes. Did he use any of his notes? Did he say – He didn't really say, but he did say he liked it, that he – really appreciated the notes let me try to find that part um i think it eddie was probably
0: rooting for seattle
2: yeah he was I, i know he's a bears fan first but oh right um let's see here's where he's talking about okay i had him in the booth last year for the nfc championship game in seattle he flew in from hawaii to go to it i took him down onto the field which was a crazy scene people were going nuts he met pete carroll before kickoff and that and then came up in the booth and stayed in the back the whole time. He was sending me notes of different things he observed to get into the broadcast. What makes me feel great, though, was how he treated the spotter in the booth, the makeup person, or anyone that came in. He could not have been sweeter. He comes off as bothered, and that's a unique trait, to be recognizable and be as polite as he is. He never comes off as bothered. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I knew I missed a word there. So I thought this was a really interesting article. I already tweeted it. If you go to my at sports underscore casters, there's a link to it. But it's on AlternativeNation.net. It also talks about Joe Buck's undeniable show. They make the point I did about how the interviews kind of feel like Howard Stern type deep dives but for sports. Sure. Um, and I thought that this was a really, really interesting thing. So, I, And I mentioned this on Twitter and I want to reiterate that forgive me for when Buck comes in next time. If we be do spend Jam a lot show. of time talking about Pearl Jam, because I have some follow ups. <laughs>